I tell people, I had a lady ask me one day, she said, uh, she said, I don't know how I'm going to keep my kid out of jail. And I said, well, when he turns 26, that's the number. Because I feel like in all of my years doing this, when you hit about 26, my mom, you know, my mother's a preacher's wife. She's, she wouldn't say shit if she had a mouthful of it. Right. And, <laughs> and she's, a, she's a sweetheart. But she said, uh, you know, she said, when, when you hit 26, my mom was telling me, I know that that case of beer that your eight-year-old brother found under the cedar bush on the side of the house, I know that wasn't the neighbor's. I know that was yours. Right. You know, and so you kind of get to those things to where, you mean you really knew that that was us that got pulled over by the cops that night? She said, oh, I knew all that. You know, so you kind of have you hit that transition where it's like you're not trying to fool anybody anymore, and you're, you know, and you go back to kind of how you were raised and just do the right thing. Hey, flat during good times, tall tell some big lies, fall under your category. Get with Aaron and Joe's, cause you know you wanna go and hear them cooking up a story. Just get with Aaron and Joe's, hey, you know you wanna go and hear them cooking up a story. Alright, friends, this episode is brought to you by Action Bail Bonds. When you find yourself in a bind, Action Bail Bonds is going to be a number you're going to want to write down. 100%, man. I'm always looking for a good bail bondsman. <laughs> um, you know, it only takes 10%, I guess. That's right. To get you out of a bind. <laughs> you know, I've, I've never had to use Kurt, but I've, I guess I've called you for several other people. You know, when you're in the construction business, that kind of goes hand in hand sometimes. Right. So if you happen to find yourself in a bind, give Kurt Clark a call at Action Bail Bonds at 479 479- Two seven three zero 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 one. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of Cooking Up Story. This week we have Kurt Clark with Action Bail Bonds. Kurt, how are you, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you in here tonight. So, uh, how we typically kick these things off is we want to know a little bit about you. We want to get your background, figure out where you came from, what it was like growing up, and what got you to where you are today. Yeah. <clears throat> so my dad was a Methodist preacher for 61 years. Oh, okay. So I was a preacher's kid. You know how those those kids are. We've <laughs> all, you've <laughs> always been on the good side of the law, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Believe it or not, we've had a lot of preacher kids on the show. We have. We have. I do believe that. <laughs> there's There's been quite a few. That might be my new question. Have you ever needed a bail bondsman? <laughs> was your dad ever a preacher? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I was born in Harrison. Uh, we moved around several times as a kid and uh, started my school years in helena okay um helena is where i was born not much left over there these days is there no not much at all um so i went to first to third grade in helena uh, fifth no through fifth grade middle of fifth grade year 79 moved here and finished school at rogers graduated and uh, decided that uh I wanted to go to Montana and Wyoming mm, and be, be a cowboy. Thing. Was it Ooh. who who steered you in this direction? Was it Hank Williams Jr. Montana Cafe? It, yeah, it may have been Hank Jr. <laughs> I think that's what what got me turned on. To. Yeah. So uh, my mom and dad's best friend was Max and Betty Lowe that used to own Callison Lowe Funeral Homes here in in Northwest Arkansas. So I grew up around the funeral home business a little bit too, and and the cemetery and the crematory a little bit of all that. Max's son had got killed, and, and he asked me, he said, hey, would, would you be interested in going into the funeral home business? I said, Max, no, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, I just don't want to deal with people's problems all day, death and dying. And he said, I'll pay your way. And I said, no, I don't want to go. So Max had a friend in Cody 
actually in Powell, Wyoming. And um, he told him that I was kind of wanted to come out there. And so a guy called me one night. I was a senior in high school. Hired me over the phone. Graduated. Three days later, hopped on a plane, flew to Cody, Wyoming, and hired was out there for what? a few years. So they had a uh, cattle ranch and outfitting ranch. And I learned real quick after I got there that the cattle business is no money. The outfitting business was the place to be if you worked you there. Bet. So we did pack trips. We were 70 miles northwest of Cody in Sunlight Basin. <clears throat> so as the crow flies, about 11 miles from Yellowstone mm. and about 14 miles south of the northeast entrance to Yellowstone at uh, Cook City in Silvergate, Montana. So y'all were mule deer hunting or elk? Everything. Mule deer, elk. Um, the first the first week I was there, we had a there was a manager on the ranch who had a bunch of dogs, and uh, they did a lot of cat hunts. Oh, yeah. A lot of sheep ranches down there. And, and uh, so in the, in the fall, these, these mountain lions would come in there and just tear the sheep herds up. So got in on a few of those, actually one with the Bowhunter Magazine wow. editor. And, uh, of course, it's all horseback and, and dogs. And so so I was out there for a few years, um, decided you couldn't really make a living being a cowboy. So came back here, went to college at Tech. Um, while I was out there, the fires burned, Yellowstone in 88. Mm. We had the only contract to pack in supplies to the fire crews during the Yellowstone fire. <clears throat> which was kind of cool, but the park was closed. So if you had to, I had, one day I had to drive from, from the ranch all the way to West Yellowstone, the whole park's closed down. And back then there were no cell phones. Right. And so it was almost kind of like being on the moon. There's, there's no one around and you're the only one there. And if something happens, nobody's coming to get right, you. Right. So how far uh, are you talking? How far of a drive was that? About two and a half hours all the way through there. Of course, the fire was burning in several different sections of the park. So there was, you know, there was buffalo, deer, bear. Everything running out of the fire. They came to the road and on the highway because that was their safety. Right. So <clears throat> that was an interesting summer, into the summer there. Uh, we would we would pack in miles. And, and, and my boss at the time from Powell, he would get everybody and every friend that he knew that had a horse or a mule and we hired on with the government and how we got this job was just down the i say street and down the highway and it was a dirt highway mind you back then they had a fire camp of five thousand men and women and they brought in caterers from all over the u.s louisiana i mean every every type of food you wanted to eat it was there so we went down there one night and my boss said let's go check and see what this is all about so we went down and course we finally got our way talked our way in through the gate he said we're looking for the guy in charge so somebody helped us around there for 30 minutes we found this guy turns out they were college buddies oh no joe him and that guy were yeah they had gone to montana state together so we ended up getting this contract with the government to pack all these spas in well we would pack in food we had a a cook at the ranch we packed in food chainsaws fuel Hand tools. Hand tools, everything you can use to fight a fire. And uh, about nine times out of ten, we would get, you know, 10, 12 miles back, set up a camp, big army cook tent. Our cook would go to cooking, and we were just running, you know, 20 to 24 horses and mules in and out of there. And 
about the time she would get dinner ready, something would change, the humidity would drop, the wind would pick up, fire would come down, and they'd send in a Huey helicopter with a net and drop it. We'd load everything in there, and they'd pick it up and drop it 12 miles over in about three minutes in the parking lot where we started. Oh, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> Those big campaign fires or something. Cause, uh, and I guess he's, you say 5,000 men and women, they were from all over, I guess. Or they were from all out there. Or? Well, the funny story, well, I guess it was a funny story at the time. Probably a lot of inmates. We didn't, we didn't have to use the facilities over there, which were porta-potties. They also flew those in by helicopter. And you can imagine how many porta potties you can haul in on a Chinook helicopter. Apparently, one of the fire crews was from Hawaii. And one of them had a disease that he failed to tell anyone that he had before he came out there. And this, Denise, <laughs> this disease was diagnosed while he was there. They had to fly every single porta potty, 5,000 men, women camp out and bring new ones in and had to get this guy out of there i believe i just like thrown them some bitches on the fire yeah <laughs> i mean what kind of they fly them out when they're full some, some sort of std i don't know what it was <laughs> oh gosh the maui yeah the maui yeah <laughs> the <old> maui gonorrhea <laughs> yeah uh, yeah those campaign fires are uh I, I would say that most people unless you've watched a documentary or something don't imagine how massive of an operation it is when he says they bring in caterers there's like Domino's Pizza and all of this stuff brings catering rigs and those guys while you're sitting in that base camp not doing anything you're eating you're playing cards you're just bullshitting mm -hmm. and then the next they'll call you up and you go out and catch the monkey butt absolutely it's a it, it's quite an operation if you've never seen it but on the flip side of that too you know lodgepole pine trees and a fire comes through that hadn't been through in 40 or 50 years it burns through rather quick mm -hmm. and those lodgepole pines will crown out about two three hundred feet tall in the air and i mean like a match oh yeah well all the tinder below is just sitting there burning and you you've not lived until you've seen a hundred foot lodgepole pine tree blow up blow up just blow pop up. from the sap. just sit there yeah. and, and just, just boiling from boiling the and blow up oh, holy unbelievable <laughs> So yeah. the way they operate those fires is, say that tree's 200 feet tall. So you got to be a minimum of two and a half times wide on your fire break as the tallest vegetation. Yeah. Just it falls over. Because it yeah. falls yeah. into the fresh. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, when you're in those that big timber, I mean, those bulldozers are out there just wrecking stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, they had a – when the fire came out of the park over toward our ranch, and then started moving toward Cook City and Silvergate, Montana. They took eight D9s side by side, side by side next to the highway to stop it. Holy crap! They just hopped, they just, right, they hopped, just right, hopped over. right over. So as long as that fire stays in Yellowstone, there's really nothing you could do. It was let it burn. Yeah, yep. you you can't you can't cut down a tree in a national park. And but once that fire comes over into state forest or BLM, BLM. land or whatever then you can actually go through there and start wrecking stuff but if it's in a national park you let nature take its course even if it was a man-made fire damn yeah so and they, and they have a lot of fires out there every year of course it also depends on the weather too um like right now they haven't had much snow or much rain out there so this next summer will probably be a really big fire year but like you said if it's lightning 
and and there's a lot of storms out there i've mm -hmm. seen it snow on the fourth of july wow. and and i've seen lightning storms in november but one spark in in an area out there that's untouched right starts a fire off and, and that's where most that's how most of them start i guess right or oh. humans i guess mm -hmm. i'm gonna yeah there was a couple of power poles <laughs> <laughs> that's why i don't run power poles anymore <laughs> i run the I run hummingbirds now on my boat, <laughs> fishing boat. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> now it's really interesting because when that fire started, I think it was 88, um, it, it was actually started by a camper. And then there were some storms that came in. So I don't know that they ever really determined, but yeah. it, it's it's quite an amazing thing if you've never seen it or it's been a part of it. beautiful. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's kind of like remember when the ice storm come and it was so devastating, but damn, it was pretty. Right, yeah, everything yeah. looked chrome. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and those fences were solid ice and all. Yeah. A forest fire in all the disaster that it's fixing to cause is damn amazing, man. It's just it was, to watch the tornadoes. You know, those, oh yeah, those fire those fires fire make their own yeah. weather. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're that big and that amazing. But anyway, so. I, how many hunting trips did you take? Oh, we did. I can't tell you how many hunting trips we did out there. Um, after the fires burned, though, the, the crazy thing about that, you talk about the fires and how amazing it really is to see it. You, I mean, for, for three months, you could look directly into the sun. It was almost like there's a, a cloud over haze. it. Over to, it's a, you're looking at the moon almost. And it's just red. Yeah, just a red. And sometimes it'll change colors depending on the color of the smoke. But, yeah. So... <clears throat> that winter went to Bozeman, Montana, to Montana State University because there was nothing to do. And my boss asked me, said, how would you like to go to horseshoeing school? I said, okay. So went there, um, did corrective shoeing, forge work, all that. And when I came back from there, went to college, got a job for a veterinarian, uh, wasted a whole lot of my mom and dad's money for about <laughs> four or five years. They asked me to leave college twice i think and i went back once or twice your parents asked you to leave no the college did <laughs> that's what i was gonna ask you yeah hey you know you're the fourth farrier on the cooking up story show hey we've had several yeah no kidding yeah 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 it's a I'm, you know it was a lot of fun i did it for years probably 20 years after i came back and um <clears throat> worked for a veterinarian uh, here in bentonville and then Went to work as a livestock inspector for the state for a few years, and that's where I ran into a guy in the bell bond business, and I started doing bell bonds part-time and quit shoeing horses at that point and then got in the bell bond business. So, you know, we, we did a little survey and asked our listeners what they like, and they like hunting. They like farming and ranching, and uh, they like several things, really. But... When you're working as an outfitter, you don't know who the hell you're fixing to have show up. And uh, a lot of these outfitters deal with the same clientele year after year. Well, they hope to anyway. Yeah, if you're right. good and those guys you have bet. a good time, they're coming back. But you don't know if this guy's coming from Boston or Louisiana or Ireland or wherever the hell he's coming from. And they're showing up with different attitudes. One attitude may be, I'm showing up, my job's to pull a trigger, and those guys are going to take care of everything. The other attitude is, is man, I want to be a part of this whole deal. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if you're that guy who wants to be a part of the whole deal, um, 
if you're not pushing your outfitter or your guide, if you're just fitting in, man, you're going to have a great trip. Mm-hmm. If you're a lazy son of a bitch, whether it's on a boat, whether it's 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 on a, a hunting trip, you probably ain't going to have the full experience because those guys ain't going to give it to you. Right. Yeah. But some of them, like I said, that might just be all they want. They want to get out there, pull the trigger, go lay back down, yeah. drink whiskey. or Have you feed them. Yeah. yeah. I was on a, a guided fishing trip in North Florida years ago, and I know how to fish. And so the first fish I catch, I go to take it off the hook myself. They and our guide is like, he's like, nah. <laughs> it's like, you don't know what has teeth here and what exactly. doesn't. Yeah. So yeah. I, had to, I had to step back. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll just let you bait the hook and do everything, yeah. and I'll just keep catching them. Yeah. yeah, we had a we had a lot of really good people. <clears throat> we had one year that the, the summer snowed on the Fourth of July. There was a publishing company out of New York had a big sales deal, and whoever won this sales uh, in the top sales of the company got to go on this pack trip in Yellowstone. So we took them up there. We had forty something people. So so that means and to break that down, you've got about two pack horses. Or one pack horse per person, um, plus their horses. So, you know, when you're, you're 80 deep. Yeah, you're 80 deep before you Whoa. ever get up there. Jeez. So you've got horses, you know, um, Bell. And these probably never, these people have probably never been on a horse. A lot of them never <laughs> been on a seen horse one in New York. Maybe at the, at yeah. the zoo. So, <laughs> so that was that was an interesting trip. But the guy you're talking about, I know him. Can't remember his name. Uh, my boss called him Rambo. And this guy was so excited about coming out, and he was from New York, too. And he wanted to see everything, do everything. And so we just kind of joked about it. He's, you know, I mean, he would call every few days. Of course, we were in the mountains all summer, and he was back at the ranch. But he, uh, when they brought him in, uh, we, we were down at the barn. I'll never forget this. And this guy wanted to know where the barn was, and he came down, and he had his, he had his sheepskin saddle cover with him. Oh, and I thought, boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> so, so the first, our first day, usually out of the ranch, we would go up to our fishing camp, and it was about seventy-five hundred, maybe eight thousand feet up. So it's, it's a pretty easy ride up there. <clears throat> Second day, they wanted to go into Yellowstone, so we were going to make a big trip up into Yellowstone. They wanted to fish a couple of lakes up there and just see everything they could see. Well, day two from the fishing camp up to our hunting camp, it's about a four-hour trip. But there's about an hour of that trip that you're on a rock slide that's about eight inches wide. So you're about, just riding the ledge. And about 4,000 feet to the bottom. Of it. So I worked with a guy there. His name was Jim, and he was in the front. This guy and his buddy were in front of me, and I was in the back with a team of pack horses. And I see Jim stop up ahead. What in the world's he doing? And he got off his horse, and I thought, well, this isn't good. There was a hornet's nest on a little bitty rock. Just next to that narrow trail. On the, on the rock slide itself. There's no turning around. There's no turning around. Oh, God. So pretty soon, I, I couldn't tell what he was doing, and pretty soon I hear him yell at me. So I got off my horse. I'd never been off my horse on that rock slide. I wasn't happy about it at all because I trusted my horse. I was on going across there every time. Better than you did on your own feet. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because I'm not a heights guy. That's why I'm not in the construction business. I like to operate on the ground. <laughs> so I made my way up there, and he said, I don't know what we're going to do. 
I said, what's wrong? He said, there's a hornet's nest up here. I'm like, oh, gosh. This guy's 40-something years old at the time. Here I am, 19. I didn't have a clue. So we finally get the thing knocked off. The whole time going across this rock side, this guy has a white-knuckle death grip on a saddle horn, and he's got the reins laid all the way over, and he's not looking anywhere but straight ahead. This is Rambo? This is Rambo. He's got to cut uphill the whole time. (laughs) That horse is going straight. (laughs) So turned out he was a pretty nice guy, and we made a four- or five-day trip, I guess, up through Yellowstone, and he asked us the last night, he said, we don't have to come back across that rock slide, do we? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm not going. I said, well, that's the way home. I said, unless it's about a nine-hour ride to go the next mountain over and back around. He said, we'll go that way. Well, long story short, we get, we're supposed to be back, you know, three or four in the afternoon. We take the long way. We get down to the trailhead where the Forest Service building is, and it's dark. There's headlights. My boss is down there looking for us. Oh. He said, what happened? And of course, we weren't happy by any means this long ride we just came off of. And he said, I told him, and he started laughing. That Rambo was that scared Rambo, of us. Rambo was scared of the rock slide. So, uh, I'm yeah. with Rambo on this one. <laughs> Man, that, that had to have been pretty awesome, though. It Riding was. horseback through Yellowstone on for five days just out yeah, yeah, that sounds. I mean, we spent. I mean, man, spent more time. You know, the coolest thing about it all was was Wyoming and Montana's drinking age was still eighteen. Oh boy! And I was right out of high school, so you know, you <laughs> couldn't but get enough. Huh? The bad thing about it was, is we spent about eighty percent of our time in the back country. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. It was. You, uh, you grow up quick you, out there. You, oh, you know bad, those man. those little trails that you're talking about. I mean, hell, there may be a trail ten thousand feet up on the ledge, and what. We'll, what can happen is one of these mules can die on that little old trail. And so they have a special division of rangers who are backcountry rangers, and they're the only rangers that get to carry dynamite. And there ain't no taking that mule off of the trail, so they'll go up there. and just kick it off down the hill? Yeah, they, it's 18 inches wide <laughs> trail with a dead horse on it or a mule. And they'll blow them off of the trail. I'm thinking that would do more worse. No, you yeah, the just shoving them off. Uh, you shoving just... a big ass horse on the 18 inch trail? Oh yeah, it's high risk. <clears throat> yeah. Have you ever watched a movie called Unbroken? I have not. There's a movie called Unbroken, and it's about these uh, four Texas A&M. Uh, that's not it. Uh, He's looking up. Stuff. Is it the same guys that did the uh, the river and the what is it the uh, type in Rio Grande deal? Yeah, type in Texas A and M horse movie. Um, these four guys grab Mustangs, unbranded. Unbranded. Yeah. Unbranded is the name of the movie. These four guys take mustangs real mustangs and they break these horses there's that trail that brought this up to me um they break these mustangs down there by mexico and they ride these things all the way to canada damn that's a a trip (laughs) the same deal the river and the wall is what i'm talking about i think it's the same guys i don't I, i don't know but this one here little bit of uh 
Spoiler alert, that one dude's a complete puss. <laughs> Rambo. <laughs> he, was he the one? Well, oh, that's different, maybe. But the, the one I was talking about, that River and the Wall, there's one guy. You know, they start and they do the whole Rio Grande, the wall. Oh. And it goes all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, I guess. And like, he gives 10, up. 10 miles shy of the. Same. He didn't want to quit. He, he quit. You sure he you're not quit? mixing these two movies together? The one I called, I've never heard of this one. The one I watched was called The River and the Wall. Okay, this one, same deal. Yeah. Like quit. it's the same guy. Like Literally can see the sign that says Canada. Boys, I'm done. I mean, I could see that. I don't uh, turn around myself. <laughs> I turn around myself. And just pissed these other guys off because they signed up as a team. You yeah. know, it was a team effort, and they'd went through hell. You can see the finish line. He could see it, and he said, I just don't ever want this to end, so I'm I'm oh. not going to go up there. Oh. So he ended it. He, yeah. He didn't end the trail. <laughs> so he ended it. <laughs> yeah. He just turned around and went back. Spectacular movie, unbranded. So, unbranded. what's it on? Is it Netflix or something? Uh, you can get it on it's anything. YouTube, right there. Amazon or YouTube. Um. With that being said, so how many years did you do the outfit? Three years up there. That's a while. Yeah, it Man, was a lot of be, fun. That'd be a great. So you were old enough to drink when you got home. Uh, no, twenty-one. I was twenty when I came back. And oh. I still had a few months to wait. Uh, that would be uh, how, March, how tough March was birthday. that? Tough it wasn't bad. <laughs> it wasn't bad. <laughs> I, I'm guessing it uh, that that legal distinction didn't uh, cause many problems for a young man. No, it didn't. <laughs> I I bet that was just an amazing way to spend your eighteen right out of high school. Yeah, I mean, like you said, kind of a way to really figure out how to be a man and live and yeah in that country up there. Gosh. I'll you, tell you, that's a good move, man. Watching that movie Unbranded, mm-hmm. I was down in the man cave watching it by myself and crying. He's all had I, I, No, I didn't cry. I got madder and a, <laughs> madder and a hornet on an eighteen inch trail. <laughs> uh, I come up into the main house and wife says, "What's wrong with you?" I said, "Well, I'm just pissed off." What are you pissed off about? I said, "I just watched a movie that I wish that I would have had the balls to go out and do that." Yeah. And uh, hey, it's not too late. Uh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, cur- it's currently it's currently too late. But just like you, man, I think I was probably 12, 13 years old. Montana Cafe, uh, listening to Hank Jr. Yeah. I didn't know shit about Montana. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't like you could Google it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Once every two years, a show would come on that would show you there's a place called Montana. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. our, our ability to research stuff was so slim, and I wasn't much for that library. Encyclopedias. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We did. I think we had one set of encyclopedias when I was a kid growing oh, yeah. up. And green and white. It may have been outdated. <laughs> yeah. I believe it was green and white. But I just, I decided that's where I wanted to go. Yeah. I just thought that I wanted that Montana, Idaho cowboy deal. And, uh, Got me to Arkansas. Yep. <laughs> next, next best thing. <laughs> well, I was trying to. I was trying how, to how, how did you uh, end up substituting Arkansas for uh, Montana, Idaho? I had an ex-wife and a bird dog that I lost in a divorce. You lost a bird dog in a divorce. Yeah, Bowser. He's I never ger- heard that. I German mean, he short hair. He's the only dog I ever spent quality money on. I think I give two thousand dollars for a dog when two thousand dollars was like. Three 50. months pay. 
Yeah. And uh, I took that dog and paid for him to get a university education. Real deal. And that dog was pride and joy. A dog, huh? Look, Damn. I got me a brand-new pickup truck, got my dog out of the dog school, put it in the dog box in the back of the brand-new pickup truck, rode down to the river. We're going to catch us, by God, pheasant, shoot it in the face, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got a buddy of mine in the truck, and the whole drive, Joe, you can only imagine. I'm saying, boy, you don't know what's in the back of this box back here, man. <laughs> this dog is the real deal. It's legit. Done got a graduate degree. We get there to the river, and on, as I'm driving down the road, I got shit some sort of fierce. And uh, my guts are growling. I must have had a bean burrito or something. I get out of the truck. I let that dog out, and I go off by a tree and <laughs> drop an old deuce. And this dog comes running up, rolls in my feces. Oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't, I was a young man. So I didn't have time to think. I just had time to react. So I kicked this dog square in the ass. And that dog yelped real loud, run up to where my door was ajar on the driver's side <laughs> and put my shit all over my brand-new truck seat. <laughs> you know, it was bad enough that the dog had rolled in shit, but then whenever it Your got shit. in my shit in my truck seat. Who was your buddy that was with you? I think it was... Oh, one R lefty. lefty. Yeah, man, lefty went out there. What was he doing? He couldn't whoop that so much out the door. He was probably he, laughing. He, he was probably, probably had shit in front of him, getting shit on him. Lefty was probably holding a gun, so he didn't have another on. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. So, uh, yeah, man. So I lost a dog and a wife in a divorce uh, on Valentine's Day. After you just have to have the dog when you're getting a divorce that would bother to roll shit in your truck. That was just the affection she found for it and had to couldn't I wa- let that go. The day, the day I left, I would have shit in the yard, turned the dog loose. <laughs> Open opened all the car doors. <laughs> opened up the front door of the house. Boys, I got the dog out of the divorce. Huh? And uh, it was probably, I didn't care about much. I wanted my fishing poles, my guns, my truck. A large brown paper sack with cash in it, <laughs> and I'd leave peacefully with the dog. And uh, I gave the dog to an old boy, and I said, here's the deal. I'm fixing to leave. He said, where are you going? I said, I ain't real sure, but I know something I ain't coming back. I'm going to give you this dog, and if I do come back and that dog's tied to a tree, it's going to be a bad day because mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in dogs right. on trees. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I said, you take that dog and you hunt with him, and it'll be the best damn dog you ever got. Just don't shit by a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't turn him out. When you're taking him. And so I wound up. I wound up in Arkansas, man. And to be honest with you, for probably the first couple months when I got to Arkansas, I was still trying to daydream a way that I was going to carry myself to Montana. I remember you talking about that when you first got yeah. here. I was thinking, I don't know, I will go work for a mine or whatever. Had an opportunity, a lot like you said. Guy reached out. He had an outfitter deal, cowboy thing. And, you know, at that time, I'd already purchased a house and all of this stuff. I lost it in the divorce. But I knew the value of money, and, you know, $200 a week didn't sound like nothing. And that's about what they pay. It's like $200 a week. We're going to give you all the food that you could eat and 
there's tips. And I'm thinking, shit, I'm going to spend a week with a guy who's going to give me 10 bucks. That ain't going to pay for this truck payment. <laughs> right. And that was the only thing. Yep. It all worked out. Oh, yeah. It really, it really did. So uh, when did I meet you, Kurt? I, it was after, obviously, you got back yeah, from there. Yeah, it was probably the... But I don't think you were doing the bail bonds yet. No. No, I think I was still a uh, livestock inspector and shoeing horses. Then. Right. So that would have been the early 90s, probably. Hmm. So bail bondsman, that's why we got you here. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of an old deal. They've been bonding people out, if you Google it, anywhere from late 1700s to... The biblical times. <laughs> the biblical times <laughs> of the 1700s. <laughs> or... You could say what is a modern bell bondsman, and that would have started in like 1890. And and a lot of things, whether it be law enforcement or whatever, kind of happened in that San Francisco area because there was a lot of stuff happening. There was gold miners. There was wealth and instant wealth and all this, and a guy would get shit-faced drunk, and go hurt somebody, and go to jail. Therefore... There had to be a means of getting them out. And bail, in general, is kind of a hot topic over the last couple of years because there's Very. several places across the country who have basically taken bail out. Mm. You get arrested. You You're may just there. Well, no. You may just get uh, a notice to attend a trial. Mm. And so in a lot of places, West Coast, some East Coast places, they've taken bail out of the system. Mm. Now you say you can't even get bail. There's no need bail that because bail was racist. Ah, yeah. What's racist about it? So what's funny about well, that whole story is rather than racist, you mm. be privileged because yeah. some right. people Money. couldn't afford to bail out. Or yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you talk about San Francisco, and that's kind of where we go full circle to the last ten years is. Basically, they have a catch-and-release program, kind of like fishing. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys will go to jail 20, 30, 40 times. It doesn't it didn't matter if it's for, you know, stealing a car, robbing a store. That's a the, topic these days. And they're, they're so backlogged in the court system that they may have 30 other charges on them by the time they reach the judge the first right. time. Sheesh. And the, the judges aren't known that don't even know about harsh. those other charges. Yeah. And yeah. and it's just it's a debacle and law and order you know, one of the things that we've talked about numerous times is is uh sacrifice to success, right? Mm hmm And so if you can get in trouble and there's no sacrifice, well, you're gonna stick in that yeah, old rut nothing that you're to keep in. you from continue you, down the It just makes breaking the right. law something that's uh, more valuable for the for the yeah. outlaw, right? But so dating back, it come to the point to where you know to to stress law and order. There's going to be a penalty. It's going to be monetary. We're going to give you a fine of whatever, five hundred bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. And the guys would say, "Well, man, I got to go to work tomorrow. I can't pay this fine. I, can I can I do something? You know, we'll let you bond out." And so, traditionally, it's always been around 10%. I was going to ask, you reckon that's went up? Or it, ha it, it hasn't, unfortunately. And, I mean, and do since, you hear, do you hear you misspeak that in the news often between bail and bond and the amount? So, basically, I mean, it's the same thing. So, what we do when you're arrested, they set a, a bail for you, say $5,000. Well, we post a bail bond. So, it's just a, the form we paper. fill out. 
Yeah, yeah so but we the, post that. But one of them refers to the total amount that its value is, and the other is the 10% that you get to bond them out, right? Mm-hmm. So the 10%, so every state's different. There are, and I believe Oklahoma's different. I think certain states you can charge up to 15%. Well, just as an example. Yeah, but for Arkansas, it's a flat 10%. There's an $80 fee on every bond that we post, which when I started back in 97, 98, it was a five dollar fee. Today mm-hmm. it's an eighty dollar fee. So but what the ten percent is still ten percent. Yeah, ten percent still the ten percent. And um, so, so basically, a bail bond is it ensures the defendant's appearance in court. That's it. And then you're liable for the whole amount if they don't show, or that's why you go catch them. I guess exactly. So, so if your bond's five thousand, it costs you five hundred eighty dollars to get out of jail today. And that would be technically called the bail, right? That's so the, the bond is the full amount. No. Well, it's it's basically the basically same thing. The same thing. Yeah. Uh, well, so, maybe that's why I wonder if they're using the terminology right all the time because they're using it for the same thing. They represent two different numbers. Right. So there is a lot of misinformation out there. So, so I'm currently the the chairman of the Bell Bond Licensing Board for the state of Arkansas. I've, I've been uh, I was appointed by uh, Governor Huckabee. Governor reappointed by Governor Beebe, reappointed by Governor Hutchison, and now I'm under Governor Good Huckabee's Good daughter. So, so we got the right guy to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for going into that little deep dive. Yeah, so I've been so I've been on the board sixteen or seventeen years and I've been the chairman probably for the last 14. Is that because no one else wants it? Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, we have a vote. There's seven members of us on the on the board, and everybody, you know, looks at, at Kurt's doing a great job. I nominate him. I yeah, second. Yeah. You're in. I'll be dang. So, yeah. so when, when they ask you the first time, were you their first pick? <laughs> I was, unfortunately. You know, me and, me and Martina has these dreams that we've always shared together, and there's everything from coon hunting to fishing to whatever and i think martinez had went to sleep one night watching dog the bounty hunter or something or he was watching some one of them bell bonds bounty hunter shows Mm -hmm. and uh you remember this dream no i'm i'm still waiting okay it'll come to me so you had this dream to where me and you were bounty hunting and we were down in mexico and we were trying to like confiscate a big ass yacht or boat or something and as part of this deal, me and you were standing on the beach fishing. I do remember it now. <laughs> and it wasn't like we were catching pompano or some little old oh, shit. fish. We were catching marlin. <laughs> right, right, right on the beach. beach. <laughs> he was dragging them in. You bet you were. <laughs> no net. That's called beach flipping. You bet. <laughs> and so we're catching. I wasn't it. I mean, I was in the dream, but Joe was dreaming it. And we're just dragging these marlin up. And I guess forgot all about getting that damn yacht that, <laughs> that was going to get us the money to come back home. But, <clears throat> which I think the whole yacht story was a story that you told me a long time ago. It was either you or Jeff Smith. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff worked with me for years. Yeah, uh, Jeff and I had to uh, travel to San Pedro, Belize. That might have been where we were. Yeah. At. That was a, that was a story I was yeah. telling you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been we've been. You all had over. to travel there. So so let's back up <laughs> on that to, story. So obviously you bailed this guy out. And he didn't show up. Right. Yeah. So he he had uh, jumped. He'd missed his court date. And um, long story short, in about a week, I figured out where he was. Well, at that point, we didn't even have a passport. 
so we uh, submitted our paperwork and jeff's youngest sister heather was a travel agent in dallas so we'd submitted our paperwork through the mail like you're supposed to and and then we then we knew where he was so he called heather and heather said just go to this place executive visa online and you can have a passport in 48 hours mm. so we did so it was jeff and myself and ronnie Colvin. ronnie's passed away now but he worked for us too and and uh, we made a trip down there and within six hours of landing we we found him and uh, it was easter weekend 2007 so this was right after dog the bounty hunter got arrested in mexico and nobody wanted a bail bondsman anywhere near their country mm. at all well our former prosecutor was a U.S. attorney, got us in touch with the U.S. Marshals. We went through the Department of Homeland Security, everybody, to basically say, hey, I know this guy. He's not going down there and cause ruckus. So they said, okay, you can come down here. If you find him, you have to call the Belizean authorities to come pick him up. Well, we found him. We called my contact down there, and he said, it's Easter weekend, man. <laughs> well, no, we won't be working till Tuesday. We're hunting some eggs. Yeah. So, needless to say, we hung around there, um, got him picked up. He was in, he was on a flight back here, and um, the reason I took Ronnie Colvin with me is Ronnie and his wife used to own three businesses over in Eureka. And so January in Eureka Springs is shut down. So every January for 16 years, they went for two weeks to the Cat Islands in Bahamas because that was his wife's favorite place. And the next two weeks, they flew to San Pedro, Belize and so he knew the town they knew everybody i mean the mayor so there's there's no vehicles on san pedro it's all golf carts now that's that's a feat in itself when you're trying to find someone and be no incognito <laughs> in a golf cart it's it's tough but and uh, being white yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and uh at least they speak english they do and that's, that's that helpful. was the nice thing about it because um, it was very helpful but ronnie knew he went fishing with the same fishing guide for two weeks every year, 16 years. His name was Eloy, and his father was the kind of the mayor of San Pedro. And so they helped us out. And <clears throat> when time we got our guy on the plane, he was back with the marshals. We went fishing. No, joke. must have caught 300 reds that afternoon. Just mm-hmm. had a big time. But yeah, that was that was quite a quite a trip. And and the, the best part of that story is is <clears throat> Jeff was telling us. As we're waiting at the airport now, the airport there is a—it's a building about I don't know, twelve by sixteen. I say building; it's a roof. So there's there's no four, sidewalls. No, there's it, it's like a just a picnic cook shack area. picnic area <laughs> with church pews that you sit on to wait on the airplane. And so <clears throat> we were sitting and waiting before we left, and and Jeff was telling us about when him and Missy got married, and and they'd gone somewhere. In the Bahamas, and he was telling us about the trip back, and this was, of course, pre-9-11. Well, their flight didn't leave till about 4 or 5 p.m. from the Bahamas back to Miami, I believe. And so they checked all their baggage and went to the bar and were drinking, and Jeff said he was drunk. And so he's telling this story about coming through customs, and he had more drinks on the airplane, and they got up there, and the guy says, you know, do you have anything to claim? He said, oh, I don't know. He said, there, there was a monkey in my suitcase this morning when I was packing. <laughs> and, and the guy looks at him. He said, sir, 
do you or do you not have a monkey in your suitcase? He said, I don't know. You'll have to check. Of course. <laughs> so Ronnie, we're just joking around. He says, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that nowadays. Said, yeah. So, so we fly back, we get back into Atlanta and we've got about 40 minutes between our flights. Well, it's a big airport. We've got to go through customs. I'll ask, yeah. So we all just kind of jockey ourselves up to the shortest line. And Ronnie gets up, and he gets through, and I get up, and I get through, and we turn around and look. And there's a guy escorting Jeff Smith off to the side into a room. And Ronnie looked at me, and he said, surely he didn't tell the monkey story. <laughs> he didn't use that monkey story yet. So <laughs> as a uh, – is – the bell bondsman, does he automatically take up the role as bounty hunter? So, yes. Yeah. So, in the state of Arkansas, you can't use the title bounty hunter. It's just a, a term. So, you have to be a licensed bell bond agent to go and affect the capture or return of the defendant to the jail. So, do you – can you have an assistant? You can if they're over 21 – there, there's several laws there. You, you can't have a felony on your background or an aggravated or battery or anything like that. But most of the time, we just go by ourselves. Um, that way you know you, you know, I mean, right. if, if you're in a jam, you could take somebody. So, so <clears throat> okay, so on that, like the guy in Belize, what, what was his bond? I mean, how much talk, how much money are we talking? That? 50 grand. So it was worth going down there and getting him. Yeah. yeah. And when it yeah. comes to this travel mm-hmm. and i guess also just in general is there is that just something that comes out of your profits or <clears throat> that's a good question so a lot of times if it, let's say joe's in jail and his bond's 50 grand and i don't know joe but joe comes to get him out and says i want to bail my buddy out well we're just like a bank so i get a co-signer somebody i know that has a good job you know that's not just a a vagrant on the street that right. that knows the consequences that when you co-sign for him, it's like signing a note at the bank. You co-sign on his truck, he doesn't make a payment, they're coming knocking on your door. Right. So so we always get a co-signer and or collateral. You know, um, you'd be silly to write a fifty or hundred thousand dollar bond without some sort of collateral or you wouldn't be around very long. Is there right. is there laws put in place on the collateral that make collateral less of a a good idea for you? Um there are laws on the books. So, you know, as a, as a bell bond company owner, you can use your discretion on that. Um, years ago, they used to have a formula that was secured bond formula versus unsecured bonds. And you could only write so many unsecured bonds depending on how much money you had up with the state. So that's gone by the wayside now, which is good in a sense because if you've got somebody that's, you know, I mean, you can pick someone from, from Gravit out that you know has been there their whole life, who's been in and out of jail 50 times. You can't run them out of this county with a stick of dynamite, and you know they're going to show up for court. Or, or you know they're not going to show up for court, but you also know you can go find them. Right, right. So, so, so I was just kind of curious. Walk through this quick. but Sure. So it's a $50,000 bail, mm-hmm. and you give the government or whomever five grand, and then the guy gets out. How do you make your money? So, so the five grand is what we charge, and that's a state statute, state law, that we have to collect ten percent and no more on the bond. So, so you keep that money. So that money is how we and make you're a just living. Doing your deal on paper, right? Okay. So my paperwork to the court says if Joe doesn't show up for court, and I can't find him, I have to pay you five grand. 
or fifty grand. Yeah, so I pay the full fifty thousand. Is is there insurance that specific to the industry that goes along with that? So yes, there is, but not in Arkansas. Ah. So in Arkansas, you're basically your insurance is your hip pocket. So uh, there's a lot of big insurance companies like Florida, for example. There's a lot of huge insurance companies, and so so even as a company owner there, I would have to come to you to make sure that I could write this bond. So Mm. it's it's a right. So you just start off with a wing and a prayer. Yep. And not a lot of operating capital. And hope they offer And then eventually hope that you got a little operating capital after you made some money so that you won't be sold out on a wing and a prayer. Absolutely. But, but yeah. I mean, is there what's the average of guys that don't show up in court versus the ones that do? So the last numbers that we had at the board that were, that were probably true numbers is there's about a – a nine percent there's probably more of a 12 or 14 percent failure to appear rate mm-hmm. but our forfeiture rates on the bail bond industry side is about four percent okay so we go get those people and bring them back how right. long do you have That's the difference how, between the- i'm sure like it you don't get three years to go catch this guy or do you how long do you get right after they miss their court date yeah so the to- statute is different um like in circuit court which would be a felony charge um We've got 75 days to find that defendant okay. bring them back to court. Now, on the 75th day, they usually set what they call a show cause date, so we have to go and talk to the judge. If we don't have that person, the judge has the discretion to give us more time mm, and right. to find that person. Mm. So, But, you know, you was talking about different states. You know, I was wrongly accused of some stuff one time. <laughs> of course you were. And got <laughs> thrown in jail in Oklahoma, which Arkansas, you know, like, say you get a DUI, they turn you out after eight hours or something. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, you have to bond out or you sit there to your court date, or at least it used to be. Yeah. yeah. So you and had to bond out. So Benton County in itself here, you don't bond on a DWI. You just get to sit there for eight hours. Um, you know, the laws have changed over the years, and a, and a good friend of ours, I won't say his first name, but his last name is Hope, he went, <laughs> he went down there one day, and uh, I said – I found out the next day. I said, man, why didn't you call me? He's like, I didn't know what to do. And you know Jeff. Mm. You know, he's not a small guy at all. <laughs> I guess he's got two names. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that, that last one was an alias. <laughs> it's an alias. It's an alias. I just, pieced, I just pieced together what happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is his, I won't say his first name, but his last name's yeah. Hope. Yeah. He, do you know Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know Jeff. It wasn't him. It was a guy that looked like him, a big guy. Yeah. So he, he winds up down there, and, and he's just sitting and booking. And in booking, you're just sitting in chairs. It's kind of a – you've got men on one side, women on the other. And if you're not being an idiot, you get to just sit in this chair and wait for him to call your name and come up. So I said, I said, well, man, why didn't you call me? I would have came down and got you. At that time, you could go down to the jail and say, hey, I'm here to get Joe Martinez. Okay, and they bring me an alcohol intox form to say that I'm going to be responsible for him for eight hours. I could just sign it. Take he didn't him have home. to wait the eight hours. Yeah. Take him home, put him in bed, and leave. And and Jeff said, well, I was just sitting there. And you know how Jeff, I was just yeah. sitting there in the chair. And he said, about four or five hours into it, this guy came in, and he said he had to be on methamphetamine. He said he sat down in the chair, and he's all fidgeted around. He's like, slaps him on the arm, says, hey, man, what are you in for? And he goes, DWI. <laughs> he goes, oh. He said, well, did you call anybody? He's like, no, I'm waiting on him to give me my first phone call. He goes, well, Right around that corner, there's a phone. You can call anybody you want to. (laughs) 
So Jeff said at that point, he said, I'm just going to sit here for the next four hours till they turn me loose. <laughs> so he stayed. He you know, stayed. Uh, it was, you remember Y2K? <laughs> there was a thought that as a country and as a world, everything was going to go into shambles. It's over. There was bottles of water. Cash was taken out of ATMs. Down here at Wonderland Cave, it was full of bottled water and candles. It was going to be a secret hideaway. Um, nothing happened. <laughs> Y2K didn't erase nothing. And uh, I had a warrant for my arrest in the county of, <laughs> of, of Benton. Mm. And I was just hoping that Y2K was going to wipe that off. I wouldn't have to. You're good to go. I wasn't going to have to deal with it. Yeah. It was just a couple months down the road with. <laughs> New Year's. What was that rape and aggravated sodomy? <laughs> no, <Good>. no. <laughs> no. It was oh, just the sodomy. That's no, right. No, it was actually for a... I'd went out on a date with a gal. She beat you up? She she worked at a grocery store where me and Joe was building a bank. And uh, in a small town in western Benton County. And her ex-boyfriend, who was a police officer in that town... Mm. Didn't, he didn't like the fact he was over at her house. I guess. He didn't like the fact that me and this old gal went out on a date. So he kind of... Some guys just can't take a joke. <laughs> That's a hell of a joke. He initiated the stop by saying I had fictitious tags that I had obtained at the tag office. And I said, if they're wrong, you got to take it up with that woman. Because <laughs> she sold them to me and I put them on the truck. And, and uh, he told me I was a smart ass. Kind of arrested me a wee bit and... <laughs> and, kind of uh, arrested. A wee bit arrested. And uh, whenever it comes time to go to court, well, I was working in Alabama. And I wasn't going to leave Alabama to come to court for something that, just like Joe, I didn't do. Mm -hmm. Wrongly accused. And so I just avoided the circumstance. Allegedly. Well, there was one morning, we used to really get, get going on fishing on the White River up there in Cotter and that part of the country. And... Uh, couple of my buddies i told them i was living in fayetteville and i told them i said be at the house at four we'll get there at sun up be good well three o'clock i'm up man i got breakfast burritos done they're wrapped up in full four o'clock in the morning ain't nobody there i got my waders on i'm ready to fish ready to drive i'm Ball ready to fish. Sweating. and uh five o'clock in the morning they show up and i said boys we're we're late don't worry, we'll make up that time. Ooh. I wasn't on that trip, by the way. Mm. No, we were in a turquoise and gray F-150 single cab, ugliest pickup Ford ever made. You, got, don't, you guys bed. don't know this guy, but his last name's Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> and so he... Did, you know Shane. Well, you know Shane. Shane was at those fights. <laughs> he decides that he's going to drive at a high rate of speed through Madison County and gets us pulled over in the town of Huntsville, Arkansas, by a state trooper and when i seen the blue lights i said shane you done screwed me man and i'm sitting in the middle and uh the fine state trooper comes up to the passenger door and he says i need license and registrations from or license from everybody in the vehicle and driver i need your registration proof of see is that legal I imagine. if you're just riding yeah, yes. anything they I want mean, he's telling me this is legal this has happened i've got a similar situation so i said man I'm going to have to stand up. My driver's license is inside these waders in my jeans. And I said, I'll need to step out of the vehicle. 
And I said, at that point, you will arrest me because I've got a warrant <laughs> in Benton County. And Hell, this, I'd have just broken run. And this <laughs> in waiters. In waiters. In waiters. And this son of a bitch Hang on, over let me take here. waiters off so I can get my wallet. <laughs> I said, and this son of a bitch over here, if he wasn't driving so fast because he was late, none of this would have happened. <laughs> and so he carries me back. He says, everything good? I said, yeah, here's my driver's license. I got a warrant in Benton County. He said, man, you're real honest. He said, sit up here in the front seat of the car. He lets me sit in the front seat of uh, the trooper wagon. And uh, he goes back and talks to dude with the last name Cochran, first name Shane. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he puts my billfold up on top of Shane's truck. And he's talking to those guys. He comes walking back. And I see Shane has a burnout taillight passenger side. And I said, officer, did you give him a ticket? <laughs> what a guy. And what a he, friend. Threw right he said, for what? I said, well, first of all, he was speeding and got <laughs> us pulled over. And uh, I wouldn't be in this seat if it wasn't for him driving so fast. He says, you no, want me? Actually, you wouldn't have been in that seat if you just went to court. <laughs> he says, do you want me to give him a ticket for speeding? I said, no, better not. He's going to have to get me out of jail. I said, but what about a fix-it ticket for that burnout taillight? <laughs> and about that time, Shane and the passenger, last name Bedwell, <laughs> they, go, they go driving off, and I said, dude, honk your fucking horn. My wallet's, <laughs> blue lights on? <laughs> my wallet's on top of that truck, and if that thing falls off there, that's all my bail money. And so he turns on the lights, they pull over, grabs my billfold, and they bring me to this little jailhouse in Huntsville. I've been there many times. Yeah. Still there. Yeah. At that particular time, right after Y2K, they had kind of a uh, a ring, D-ring, up mounted to the ceiling, and they could handcuff you with your hand directly up in the air. That's pretty handy. And so you could just kind of swing around, <laughs> handcuffed to the ceiling. Do you have to do that? Yeah, I was handcuffed to the ceiling. <laughs> And in, in a cell or just like in a room? Like in a room. Oh, okay. I'm handcuffed, and there's a dude with authentic stonewashed jeans. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you'll see most of the stonewashed jeans is in the jail. Uh, the real white ones. who had like three little rocks in his pocket. And uh, he's handcuffed there, and he's looking at me like he wants to chicken fight. And I don't want to chicken fight. I just want to go damn fishing. He may want a sword fight. <laughs> and... The, you had them stonewashed jeans on. They take me off of the ceiling. They bring me up to the window with the deputy woman on there, the booking lady. And she says, uh, full name, birthday. I give it all over. And she says, do you got any tattoos and scars? I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, which one is it? I said, all of the above. I, I got tattoos and scars. And she says, where's the scars? I got them all over the place. I said, I said you don't want to see some of them. There was that bicycle wreck with no seat on it back says, in 74. What about tattoos? I said, I'll have to pull down these waiters to show you. 
She you said, still got the waders on. This yeah. <laughs> Handcuffed to the ceiling. Did you have the old felt bottom shoes on? Yeah, man. <laughs> I was fixing to go fishing. And uh, so she says, what's the tattoo? I said, I got a Wrangler patch tattooed on my ass cheek. Kind of crooked. But. And I told her it's kind of crooked. And she now, said, I haven't seen it. She said. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. She said, do you really have a Wrangler patch tattooed on your ass cheek? I said, yeah, man. Right where it goes. I said, it's exact replica and she says pull down them waders and show me <laughs> so i pull down my britches i got my ass cheek stuck out as the sheriff comes walking him <laughs> you can probably sue her today for that so they get us they get me they book me in there give me my bail put me in that room and as i'm walking over to this room i see shane and Wes sitting in the chair and they said you want us called bondsman I said, yeah. They said, do you prefer one? No, whoever you got. So this old boy comes in, and he says, do you have anybody who's going to co-sign for you? I said, yeah, the driver, Mr. Shane, race car, Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like a 1000 bucks. It's a $100 bill or whatever. Yeah. And for, what was it to this point? Just failure, failure to appear, I guess? Yeah. And so uh, as we're sitting in there, I was still being a smart ass because every time – that guy would say something. I'd say the only reason I'm in here is because Shane drives too damn fast. <laughs> Got a burnout tail light and, <laughs> and was late <laughs> and, and was, overslept and was late. And they wound up. Shane signed the paperwork, and I asked that bondsman. I said, "So what happens if I don't show up at this?" He said, "Oh, you'll show up." I said, "But if I don't," he said, "Your friend here." Gonna have to pay that thousand bucks. Damn near worth it. So you're pissed, huh? Yeah, well, we wound up catching some fish and got there a little bit late, but it, it was a good time. <laughs> so that was my experience, and I fulfilled my end of the deal and went to the court. And the story goes even longer. We won't get into That's it. That's when you get the poison ivy. Poison sumac. Yeah, sumac. All over his nether regions. Yeah, did the dog roll in the poison sumac, too? <laughs> or just the, the no, leftover? No, just Joe Wilson. <laughs> <It was there. laughs> so you watch first. Part of your part of your job would be judge a character. Right. And do you have the ability to deny even doing it, right? Absolutely. We do it every day. What's yeah. that percent? It's more than we write. Really? Yeah. Really? Probably, gosh, I don't, I don't know. I've never thought of the percent, but it's. Three to one. Yeah, it's probably about three to one. You oh, deny shit. we three deny to three one? before we write one. Damn! Wow. Now, on what grounds? I mean, you know they're well. Now, if we back up twenty years ago, I've I've done this 20, 24, 20 actually twenty four almost twenty six years. You know, twenty years ago, you knew most everybody in town. There was right. you know twenty thousand people in Rogers and ten in in Bentonville. Half of them were your friends, and half of them were your friends or yeah. relatives, or you knew their last name. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you fast forward to today, and we have so many influx of out-of-towners here, and we've got gangs, and we've got, you know, there's some right. bad people in the jail. There's some good people in the jail, too. And then I tell people this all the time. Most of the people we deal with are good people, and they're, they're probably dirt poor, but they just make bad decisions. Right. You know? mm-hmm. I also tell people that the day they quit whipping kids in school Absolutely. was the day they built the first juvenile detention center. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because when I was a kid— there was no JDC. Yeah, you, you got a whip. No, you, you got a whip. They called it ass whooping. Yeah. yeah, you got a whipping at school. They didn't call your dad for permission, but they called him afterwards. You got one at home. You bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No, I was a slow learner. I got a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, so on judge of character, when someone comes in, is there any way for you to pull up their prior history? No, we don't have that ability. Um, we basically have to go off of what you tell me. If you call me from the jail and you tell me ABC, then, then I talk to Shane and Shane, you know, confirms that or no, no, he lives in Oklahoma. So you just put those two or three little stories two together stories real quick yeah. to go red flag or yeah, this guy's all right. I've been on his job for how many years? You know, we are, take all those things into consideration. Okay. So you're asking, where are you from? How old are you? What do you do? How long you been here? Yeah. Does the yeah. charge yeah. matter? It does. Sometimes it, it can get personal. I mean, there's, I there's people that commit certain crimes that, I agree. Should not, never see the daylight. Absolutely. Never. Particularly happy yeah. with wife beaters, for instance. Right. And hey, some of them need it. And then there's times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's times that you're going to get us banned, man. <laughs> and then there's times that you know an attorney may call me, of of someone who was allegedly accused of something, and and they and they did it, but yet, you know. We have the best judicial system in the world. We it's had that, not perfect. We had that take place in Fayetteville. I was involved with the downtown city organizations, and these kids were Crips. They came in from L.A., and they were they were recruiting children from junior high and high school, and, mm-hmm. and they were defacing everything and with graffiti and all up and down Dixon Street. And, and lo and behold, one of them smacked a, a poor nice kid that was a dishwasher at 36 club in the back of the head with a baseball bat and then they burned up a car and they were threatening me because i went to court and said you do not need to give this guy bail but the the public attorneys and the bail sponsors got together and they did not give him any bail he went to some kind of juvenile correctional thing in oklahoma Mm -hmm. almost more like a camp instead of a prison and when he got out and they they uh we're going to let him out for just two days and then put him in some other situation. They literally called me up and told me he's out for a couple of days and we just want you to know. And this was six months later. It was, it was quite something to see all those people working together. Right. To do what was right. So you I've, took you a little trip for a couple of days. Yeah. No, I just put my shotgun calls. right behind my uh, chair in the living room and I watched uh, – the war on TV. I think it was yeah. the first Bush, and they were showing us all that neat stuff down the silos and all that. But <laughs> I had my gun real handy because he came calling on me because he had threatened me. So, yeah. well, we we were talking about you got the ability to deny, mm-hmm. and you said that three to one ratio because you don't know people. Uh, is there other guys who are a little looser? Oh yeah, there's a lot looser out there. <laughs> and, but you're you're all dealing with the same margin, right? And because the, the state has mandated you cannot exceed this. Yeah. So and, how, okay, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say how how many people, how many bondsmen in Benton County? I don't. I honestly don't know the answer to that. Um, but a lot more than there used to be, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot more than there used to be. But but what we run into is is January one of this year, there was a new law passed, and in that law, it states that we as bail bondsmen have to collect the full 10% before the defendant is released from jail. Which 
That's probably a good move. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it doesn't bother me. You tell me the law, I'll do it. Now, prior to January 1, Joe goes to jail, and he's got a $100,000 bond. And Joe needs, you know, his buddy needs, or his mom or dad, need a week or two to get some money out of the 401k to pay the ten grand or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've got collateral. I've got a house up for collateral. Everything's good. I could get him out, and he'd go back to work tomorrow. Now it kind of it forces us to wait to get that money. So it, it doesn't bother us. Um, I think it bothers a lot of people. Yeah. I, my business model is different because I'm a small company versus probably a large company business model. <clears throat> so there was a lot of that that were they were writing bonds for pennies on the dollar back, you know, the past few years. I looked up today the largest bond, bail bond ever in this country was for a three billion dollar bail. Who who was it? Was that some uh, kind of white collar? It's, it's a couple white collar crime. It was in two thousand twenty two and the mom and dad were able obviously that stuff the judge knows what you're capable of. Oh and it, if they want you to stay in jail, they're gonna put it yes. that's who I thought Sam Bankman Freed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're gonna put it out of who reach. Is it? Sam Bankman Freed. Yeah. So there's a reason. Ooh, Robert Durst. So do people ever try to uh, get creative? I guess prior to January 1, would people ever try to get creative with the uh, type of uh, collateral? Bring you some chickens. Put, or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, all the time. You know, and, and years ago, you, you know, you hear these old stories from the old timers. Like, you know, well, I got that car on a bond or I got that truck yeah. on a bond. And we just don't. We, we don't. Since I've been in it, we just didn't do that. I mean, we got the collateral and did it the right way. Now, Prior to 1987, there we were under the insurance commission, like a lot of states are still today. Well, I think 87 or 88, the Bell Bond Licensing Board in the state of Arkansas was, was created. And it was created by who I like to call the old godfathers in the Bell Bond industry. So when I first started, they were the ones that were in the, in the class, you know, when you go to continuing education, smoking. And uh, they had the best stories in the world about chasing you people bet. down. But they, they created the Bell Bond Licensing Board. And and it's been a great thing, and so. But over the years, it's, it's it's evolved and it's it's changed, just like with the population growth and everything else. That, you know, today I think it's good. I think it's good what we do now, and I don't I don't mind the ten percent because it's it's across the board. Right. And is, is it better now? You think it's better? Yeah, I think it's. I you know, we've just been doing it now almost a month, so I think it's better. Better in Arkansas, not yeah. necessarily San Francisco. Right. <laughs> a little yeah. difference. There's so much bail reform going on nationwide to where it's just basically a catch and release program. I mean, like like Joe said earlier, there's you know there's guys that'll go to court the first time and they've got 30 new arrests since their initial arrest. Right. That's not even the not in Arkansas. No. Right. Yeah, right. not in Arkansas. Right. So we had Trent Morrison on the show here a while back, and that was the first time I knew that the sheriff's department could seize property mm-hmm. like. If you owed for a fine, $5,000, they would send old Trent down to gather up $5,000 worth of merch from your house and do it. Um, when you Have you ever obtained property? We have, but it's usually, it's, it's not been any, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't have the Pinnacle Hills promenade up for collateral <laughs> on a bond and repossess that, no. But we have in the past. Most of the time... I work with my people because I know that 
there's a high percentage chance they're going to need me again. So even if they fail to appear, the first thing I do is pick up the phone and call them and go, look, hey, dude, you missed your court date. What's going on? I get that story. Dude, I was in Alabama on a job. Right. I'll be back in two weeks, and I'll take care of it. I'm still here. And so I'll work with them right, because right. I'm going to write your next bond right. and make some more money. But the thing to do would be call you before that court date, not just not show up. Yeah, I think that was the lesson that Joe learned. But <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, it usually doesn't happen that way right. because, you know, a lot of construction people and a lot of people work on the road. So. My biggest yeah. lesson was don't date a cashier at the IGA and Gentry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Now, did his did the officer stunt work? Did she leave you for him? Once? Uh, no, I decided it wasn't worth going to Gentry, <laughs> and so I would drive to Cherokee City to, to get around it to her house. <laughs> no, I just bypassed the whole. <laughs> well, well, when you live in Maysville, that's easy to do. Yeah. Did did is there a bond amount that you guys won't deal with? Or no. What's the highest you've dealt with? So probably the highest I've done. I was working on one that was a million dollars. Um, the highest I think I've ever written was a three quarters of a million, seven hundred fifty thousand. Damn, yeah. You gotta yeah. tell your wife about that. Nah, no. She, uh, it's my girlfriend actually. She works. She works with me. I got so you, you tell she's your girlfriend, licensed. but you don't tell your wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's uh, she's written bonds for me now for, I guess about eight, seven years now, eight All years. Right. So it works out great because I get to fish a lot. <laughs> so Hell yeah. So probably for our listeners, if they haven't personally experienced the need for a bell bondsman, they've gotten a lot of their education from reality TV mm-hmm. because that that made good TV for several years, and it was the most corny, far fetched, <laughs> absolute, just nonsense. Old dog, mm-hmm. And That's dog right, was probably one of the more realistic versions. There was several others of these like repo type shows you yeah. know and, and everything that is just horse shit but you don't yeah. hear about the ones that didn't show up that they had to go catch no right. that, i mean that right. was kind of the that's kind of the 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 main plot of of a dog the bounty hunter, right. right exactly he he bonded these people out they didn't show up and then ice ice baby with his mm-hmm. lady with the big fingernails and boobs and his boy with the michael jordan tattoo and the bear spray (laughs) chasing after so in this pursuit of trying to get your money do you call law enforcement in advance say i got the guy this is where i'm gonna be and they come in and assist right so so in arkansas that's that's a law we have to notify them if i'm in rogers or maysville or wherever i have to notify the county or anybody and and if you don't it's it's a class c felony you Whoa. can get arrested for it and go to jail. So, so yeah, we do that. And even if we're out of state, we do that as well because, you know, it's it, it's kind of like somebody showing up on your construction site without telling you they're exactly. coming. You're not going to be happy. Right. You but have to let them know that you're there. Yeah. Do, you have to wait for them to come and assist you with it. Most of the time, we don't. Like like here, most of the officers will say, "Well, do you need do you need some help?" No, we're good. I just need to report in that we're going to be there in that area looking for this guy. And some places they'll say. Well, hang on. Let's let's go. I mean, Jeff and I, Jeff Smith and I, had a guy. It was it was in two thousand and one, right before I opened Action Bell Bonds. I was working for another company, and he was kind enough to keep me on while I got my license. He liked me. The owner did, and uh, and so he said he said I've got a case. I need you to find this guy. I said okay. It was a it was a murder, attempted murder charge, 
in, out of Russellville in Pope County. It was a $100,000 bond, and somehow the guy went to court, showed up for all his court dates, and they found him guilty. But the judge let his attorney file an appeal on the spot. Mm-hmm. He did not call the for bonding a murder co- charge? Yeah, attempted murder. Oh. He shot a doctor 13 times with a 22. And he didn't, he didn't quite die. Yeah. Should have got a bigger cow. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, um, so he said, I'll, I'll pay you 10%, find this guy and whatever the expenses are. So Jeff and I started looking for this guy, and, it, and we made four trips to Florida, airplane, flying, everything. And because he was going to have to pay this $100,000 bond, the judge left him on the bail bond company. And so this guy was a retired engineer. Uh, he had a big piece of property down there that a doctor in town was trying to, he was building a new home. The home wasn't ready. There, his wife and the, and the other engineer's wife started hanging around and they started smoking weed while the doctor got mad. Anyway, he borrowed a, a backhoe one day to finish up his driveway on his house and they got into an argument, and the doctor's a little bitty guy. The guy on bond was a great big guy. They got into a fight, and the doctor whipped the big guy. Well, the big guy reached in his desk and pulled out a twenty-two pistol. And the doctor took off running across the pasture, and the guy emptied the pistol, went out to his truck, got his twenty-two rifle out of the truck, ended up hitting him like 13 times. Wow. Jeez. And the doctor lived. But anyway, the guy took off, ran. He sold everything he owned down there, mortgaged tractors backhoes everything but he took a he took a uh, four or 17 foot carolina skiff boat to florida with him and unbeknownst to me at the time you can search those ar numbers on your boat well if you trade it to a guy in oklahoma it'll pull up the okay numbers or in florida the fl numbers so i find this guy's name address i called jeff he said let's go so we hopped a plane flew down there Knocked on, I mean, pulled up at this guy's house. There's the Carolina skiff sitting under the carport. Knocked on the door, nice guy. Said, told him who we were. And he said, yeah, he said, I bought this boat. I got it from my brother. Well, his brother owned a sail shop in Florida. Builds custom sails for sailboats. Well, our guy apparently went down there. The owner of the sail shop had a 50-foot sailboat, big, big sailboat. And this guy, our guy was in the Navy, so he was going to purchase this sailboat to sail away. <clears throat> well, good news is he wasn't a very good sailor. Um, he ran it ashore on some shell beds several times. Coast Guard had been out uh, several times to rescue him and, and pump water out of his boat. And Jeff and I started looking for a – all we had was a picture of a sailboat with a maroon uh, sail cover and mast cover. Well, there's about six million of those in Florida. <laughs> so we just we randomly were, we were in, I think, Cedar Key, Florida. and So you're looking at the second sailboat at this point. <laughs> yeah. We're just like, well, let's start here. So we drive down this road, and we come up, and it turns into a dirt road or a sand road right into the Gulf. And there's nothing but shrimp boats everywhere. And I said, well, this is a waste of time. Let's get out of here. Jeff said, well, we're here. Let's let's go in and talk to him. So we went in, and there was a lady working there and had a big 8 by 10 picture of this guy in the sailboat. And I walked in, and she was drinking coffee and told her who we were and what we were doing, slid that picture across there, and it looked like she'd seen a ghost. She said, I know this guy. Well, you got to be but kidding me. <laughs> and 
So she proceeds to give us the owner's address. He was at his house burning a brush pile, and this guy looked like a convicted felon himself. He was tattooed up, bald-headed, right off a shrimp boat. Nice guy. And we were talking, and he said, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, what did this guy do? I said, well, he shot a guy in Arkansas. He said, 13 times? I said, yeah. He ain't he said, no liar. He said, that son story. of a bitch. <laughs> he said, we were all sitting around. Of course, it's all fish, shrimp boat captains sitting around the marina down there drinking beer. And he got to popping off one night and told him the whole story. <laughs> and they thought he was well, full of shit. Right. <laughs> and even though it was true, he was Stop full of shit. Yeah. So, so Captain Ed said, uh, come with me. So Jeff and I followed him back down to the marina, and we get in the boat, and we take off down the Crystal River all the way out to the Gulf of Mexico. He said, this guy is staying on his boat and has his truck parked at a, an old gas station down here that's fenced in, and he brings his little dinghy in with his mountain bike, rides over to his truck, and goes to see his girlfriend in jail. Well, she was in jail. She was in jail in Bartow, Florida, way down south. So we go out there. We don't find the boat. So Jeff and I have this great idea. We're going to rent us a plane the next day, and we're going to fly the coast and find this sailboat. Well, I didn't know that Jeff got airsick in a Cessna. <laughs> but in the back seat, it was not a good day because we, we went to this airport that was, if you can just picture this, uh, you know, Interstate 49, and there's a Pizza Hut. And then right behind it is the airport. So we go in and talk to this guy, and it's, I don't even remember what time of year it was, but there's a kid working there. I said, hey, here's what we're doing. He's like, he's like, oh, yeah, we can get somebody to take you up. It'll be a couple hours. I said, okay. Well, we came back, walk into the airport, and he's like, okay. He said, hang on just a second. And he went out back. He came up front, and he locked the door, and he said, okay, we're going to take this plane right here. This kid couldn't have been 17 years old. That was flying. <laughs> He's the one that was going to take it. Jeff was nervous already. <laughs> but as, we, as we turned off of, off of the runway, the pavement, onto the dirt, and the door that I was sitting in the passenger seat, the door flies open as we're taxiing. Well, we're at full speed trying to take off. I slammed the door, and Jeff said, this isn't good. <laughs> We flew the coast, never saw anything. Um, ended up going down to Bartow, Florida, where this guy's girlfriend was in jail. So the first thing I did was is I find a bail bondsman close to the jail, walk in, really nice Cuban lady, knows everybody that works at the jail, just like we do. Right. She said, what's going on? So I told her and gave her the girl's name. And so she called her girlfriend who works at the jail, and she said, yeah, I'll print off everybody that's visited, visited her since she's been here. So we walked across the street to the jail, <clears throat> and she gives a visitation log. It's got one guy on it, and it's not our guy. So we thought, well, that's weird. So we go back to the hotel that night, and we start doing some research. We'll come to find out the guy that was visiting this girl in jail is dead. Oh, it's alias. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's alias, because obviously he knew somebody yeah. was so looking it was, for him. It was our guy using his girlfriend's dead husband's Florida ID, driver's license, and had a bank account. Oh, dang. Yeah. So, needless to say, we left there that last trip, and uh, Ed said, if I see him, I'll call you. So, it was on a Wednesday afternoon. I'm, I was at the Washington County Jail, and my phone rang. He said, hey, your boy's back. I said, really? He said, his boat's out of here. 
So I called Jeff. Heather booked us a flight. We hopped a flight that night. Got there at 3 in the morning. Got a rental car, drove over there. His truck's gone. Now we don't know where the guy's at. <laughs> so we go down to the PD and talk to the local PD to tell them we're there. And this guy's got a warrant. Showed him all the paperwork. Well, we go back down there. The chief came in and the sergeant was there. So we drive back down there. The guy's truck's back. He's, he's sitting inside the marina drinking coffee. So this guy doesn't know Jeff or I from Adam. So the guy, the chief said, okay, you can, he pointed at me and said, you come with me to the front door and, and Jeff, you and the, and the, or the sergeant go to the back door. So we walk up there and he said, do you know this guy? And I said, no, but I know what he looks like. So I walked up on the screened in porch and the guy's just sitting there drinking his coffee. So I gave him the nod. Of course, we couldn't carry a firearm down there. I had a. That's what I was going to ask. But I had a pair of handcuffs, and and Jeff had some mace that may have went off in the plane, but we threw it away <laughs> in in the airport. And that's another story. But uh, so I walked in, and the chief of police came in behind me, and he's got his gun drawn. I'm pointed at this guy, and he calls him by name. And says, "Put your hands up." And this guy never never budges. It's like an old western. He's drinking his coffee. <laughs> hollers his name again put your hands up well by this time he's in a pretty aggressive stance with his gun drawn i see his hand start shaking a little bit and i'm thinking jesus christ if, if somebody drops a coffee cup here or slams a, a phone book on there this guy's dead well about that time jeff and the, and the sergeant came through the back door and this guy wasn't moving so i just went up there and we got him but unfortunately he had charges there so he had to stay in jail there but came back here you recently. got your money we saved him a hundred thousand so I, how, nice. go ahead how did you learn how to do all of this tracking and capture and everything he was, was on the fly being a cowboy out in montana was, yeah he was <laughs> it all started it all started as Lying a wrangler hunting. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think i would love that part that's oh yeah a, that, I, that I think i've got a chill here that was exciting yeah you, that you would know, be cool it is fun to an extent but then it's like everything else. It, it becomes a job, and you're like, you that, really hope that, the people you bond out don't take off because yeah, right. because the game's on tomorrow afternoon. I'd rather watch the game than go right. to Maysville looking for a guy, which yeah. brings up another story you, you kind of talked about with the dog rolling in the shit and getting in your truck. Yeah, Jeff and I were over in Maysville, and this guy, was he'd been cooking meth, and we found him. Well, we had to call the sheriff's office, and uh, he had this meth lab. I mean, it was active meth lab. This had been years ago. So at that time, uh, Dell Denver was over the, over the uh, drug enforcement or something. Right. So we called Denver. Of course, he was mad because we woke him up at you know eleven thirty. He said, "I'll be over there in a minute." Well, Dale shows up. We don't know if the guy's in the house or not, but in the kitchen window is an active meth lab, Cook. cooking. You don't want to cover that up. Just just have it open. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we're in Maysville, so there's not a lot of people yeah. out there, but. Uh, so, so Denver shows up, and he, he gets out of his truck, and he was driving an old green uh, Chevrolet 1500 extended cab. So he got out and had both doors open, and he was putting his vest on, and there was a dog in the house. And so he said, you guys watch the back door, and I'll knock on the front door and see if he comes to the door. I said, okay, great. Well, we're standing out back. Was this out on State Line Road? I, can't, I don't think it was State okay. Line Road, but I, I can't remember where it was at exactly. So Dale's beating on the door, sheriff's office. Well, he kicked, and all of a sudden I hear this loud boom, and Dale kicked the door in. Well, this pit bull decides he's coming out. Ooh. So Dale pepper sprays him, okay? Dale's 
pickups still out there with the front door and the extended cab door still open. <laughs> this dog runs by Jeff and I about two or three times around the house and then got enough sight in his eyes that he could see that door open and he jumped right in the front to see that <laughs> shaking <door>. all over. <laughs> and he looked like Turner and Hooch frothing <laughs> and he was shaking and Denver came out of there and he's like, good God. He called this kid's dad, had to get the kid's dad to drive from Siloam to Maysville to get the dog out of his truck. I'll be dang. Oh, shit. Do you, uh, do you have moments in this career, which I'm sure you have, that you have pity and heartfelt uh, emotions over people? I got a situation right now that will rip your heart out. It just happened a week ago Thursday. Tammy and I were at the jail, wrote a bond on a guy. Sitting in the parking lot, phone rings, sitting there talking on the phone, snowing, ice, parking lot's iced over. And I look up, and here's this this tall black gentleman walking across the parking lot, obviously has had a stroke, no use of his left arm, left leg a little bit. And we kind of looked at each other, and I said, we probably need to see if he needs a ride. So I pulled over there and get to talking to this gentleman. He's He talks with a stutter, slow, very educated, said where you have somebody coming to get you he said no i said well do you need a ride he said that would be great i said well, where are you going he said the, the shelter over in rogers so we pick him up i said get in i'll give you a ride well on the way over and talking find out he hadn't eaten dinner so we stop at wendy's and in our conversation he had a literally a paper lunch bag and i asked him i said so do you have anything somewhere we need to help you get? He's like, I don't have anything. He held that bag up. He had a pair of socks in a bag. Mm. And now, mind you, this guy just got out of jail. All his charges are taken care of. He's been sentenced. He's served his, he served 171 days when he, when he got a 30-day sentence, but that was after he'd been there for 171 days. So we get him to the shelter. It's closed. Take him to Salvation Army to spend the night. I didn't sleep a wink that night. After I walked out of that Salvation Army, it was – overcrowded, dirty, just not a good situation. So I went over there the next morning and picked him up, went to the DMV to try to help him get a, an ID or something. Everything he'd had was stolen. No cell phone, no ID, nothing. No, nothing. So we get to there, come to find out you cannot get an ID without a birth certificate right. or a passport. So I asked him, I said, where were you born? He said, uh, and I knew he had kind of a strange accent. He said, Guyana, South America. So the next three hours we spend at my office, I'm on the phone with the U.S. Consulate General of Guyana in New York City. And after Tammy got a $23 money order and I filled out the paperwork, we shipped it off to get a copy of his birth certificate. It may take two months. So he's staying in a hotel now that I'm funding because I'm not going to let that guy live on the street. He's, he's not only homeless, but he's disabled. And he's a super nice guy. He has no family. What was his? What got him in a bind? So they allegedly said that he was trying to rob a guy and that he fled from the scene. Now, this guy couldn't run out of a burning house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, really. So the charges got dropped down to, I can't even remember what he pled out to, but they gave him 30 days and don't get in trouble for a year. You're free to go. So So he's a drifter. He was. So, I mean, he came here with his whole family, grew up in New Jersey. Um, then his, his mother died of a stroke. 
His dad's had three strokes. His brother died of a stroke. So it's a hereditary right. thing in his family. And uh, I think he's got two siblings left, and they don't have any contact with each other at all. Mm. So hmm. anyway, we've got a we've got a new member of our family, I guess, and hmm. taking care of him and trying to help him. He he's applied for Social Security disability, but apparently the first time you do that, you're automatically exactly. They told, automatically. they told him he was lying. He's like, really look at me. Yeah. So once we get the rest of his medical records from Georgia, where he had a stroke before he moved here, we'll have everything to hopefully get it to to this lady who's going to help him reapply and get his disability Social Security and and at that point, then I think we can get him into some sort of housing. Has that always been your character? Yeah, it has, I guess, you know. I mean, I don't want to see some you – know, I'm fortunate to be where I'm at today. We all are. And so that's the last thing I want to see is some guy that doesn't have anything, yeah. you know. And yeah. if I got something, I'm going to help him. <clears throat> you know, you mentioned that's earlier cool, that whenever you started this gig, you, you could you could base your success off of history, name, community, everything. Mm-hmm. And as we grow and become this metroplex of northwest Arkansas, there's people from all over the world here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as as well as a business person thinks it's a great place to come, we're also going to have homeless people, transients, that also see the benefit of living in a successful place with low poverty and, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, wealthy people, big churches and helicopters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh so they're going to start moving in and we've we've witnessed it ourselves over the last 10 15 years sure. that used to be if you were that guy on the street you probably had a, a no joke mental disorder right. that put you out there on the street and now we're we're starting to receive these people that that's their career choice is right. to right is to be a vagrant i've learned a lot in the last 10 days about homeless people how they live, why they do it. Tell us about it. There's a lot of people that that you're not going to change. You have those people. That's their career. That is, yeah. In a conversation I had with a gentleman that runs a a, a day a homeless day center here in Rogers just last week, he had a guy that was there that he got a, helped get him an eighteen dollar an hour job. Didn't want it. He went to work for three days and he showed back up at the shelter and he said, "Hey man, are you not working today?" And he said, "No, I quit." He said, "You quit." He said, why did you quit? He said, I can make more money standing out on the street corner. You bet. And he did not want to go to work for eight hours a day. Yeah. And so. And nothing wrong with him. No. No reason why he couldn't. Right. So you have that group of people that are, they're going to be that way forever. But then you have a guy like I'm helping now that this guy told me, he said, if, if I, if you could find me a part-time job, I can still, I mean, he's got one arm and one good leg. I can still sweep the floor. I can do something, you know? Yeah. And. I'm sure also uh, you've seen the the addiction side of it can be weird. Uh, years ago when I worked for KNWA, you know, one of those kind of evergreen news stories is when it gets really bitterly cold for the first time to go find people who are sleeping outside. And there was this uh, little camp we found in Fayetteville with just some mattresses on the ground and this and that. And there's this woman and, and there's liquor bottles everywhere. And the woman staying there get to talking to her and then off camera the reporter's like hey okay i've got these resources you know mcdonald's will hire you with no address which is a huge problem for the homeless population because right. you don't have have address. Hire, yeah. yeah you know that mcdonald's will hire you this is, she said i'm too good to work at mcdonald's mm. 
it's like you sleep on a mattress on the ground. Yeah. In like, the woods. What, yeah. What, what about Red Cross? Well, they won't let me drink. <laughs> and so it's an, it's an interesting side to what Kurt was saying about, about that. I did not know that about Red Cross. <laughs> people will just choose this lifestyle even when presented Jeez. with help. Yeah, I, I, you can witness every morning. So they will let you out of the Salvation Army. High Street. No, you have to leave at 7 a.m. You, you have bet. to leave. You can't be back till 5, is that right? Can't be back till 5. Yeah. So it, a few years ago, I was I did a, uh, a Stakes for Sheepdog campaign in Tulsa. And when I got to Tulsa, the chief of police and the mayor was sitting in the room. And the chief said, Joe, when are you going to move to Tulsa? I said, shit, I ain't going to live nowhere that has its own A&E special. <laughs> <laughs> I said, as. Uh, 48 the, hours. Yeah. On the drive down here, man, I said, you guys got homeless people under every overpass. And I said, I, I just don't like to put myself in that position. And, and that, he was assistant chief, stated that he had been a huge proponent of trying to get those people off the road, off the street. And he says, but guess who defends them? And the people who defends the homeless were the churches and the nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And and the reason why they defend those people standing out there looking pitiful, piled up in front of the Salvation Army, is because they're advertisement for those nonprofits. If you don't see a problem, we don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. And so those organizations would be the first one to stand up and say the homeless people have rights. If they want to be homeless, they can be homeless. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who would want to be homeless? A lot of there's, people. there's people out there. there a lot of people. There, yeah. I mean, I mean, how how has that blown up here in Northwest Arkansas in the last five years? It, it's still not even a problem, per se. I mean, yeah. there's those people there. <laughs> but as you travel the country and see the tent cities oh, yeah. along yeah. the road and see places, urban areas that have been just smashed by it yeah. like i was in fresno a few years ago and there was probably 40 60 acres of nothing but homeless people oh yeah we were in seattle a few years oh, ago no shit, beautiful dude. city yeah beautiful city and all you've seen down the road median this is in between the interstate is just nothing but blue tarps mm-hmm. i mean just cities yep. I, I watched yeah. a, a, i mean is that legal? so the whole panhandling deal is that legal there's like obviously in arkansas there's some sort of organization do. within these homeless too. Like, oh yeah, they have. You'll their, watch them. Yeah, they'll have their corners mm-hmm. and they have their time slots. Yeah. I don't know what they kind have of their own, Sometimes they'll work as teams. Yeah, yeah. they have their own leadership. You know, right. like when you get to one of these homeless compounds, there's it's a mayor. It's yeah, it's pretty. It really is. There's a mayor of that compound. They mm-hmm. have to provide their own law and order within any community. You're going to have your leaders. Hey, you can only shit there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, Clean your place up. We're going to shit over here. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can watch some of these poor me stories on, on YouTube, and they'll say, like, take, for instance, that San Francisco or L.A., yeah. Seattle, those West Coast places. There'll be guys in there who will say, you know, I'm, I'm a, a doctor, or I've graduated from Berkeley, and, and I no longer can afford housing. And so I work every day, but I can't afford a house, so I come back. This is what you hear a bunch of. And it's hard for us to understand that you could go work 40 hours a week and not have enough money for a house. My simple response would be move. Move, yeah. Yeah. Right? 
I mean, it's obvious this ain't a rosy paradise for you, and there's yeah. jobs all over the country. Move. Um, not that's where they're from. Yeah, they'll say, well, this, you know, I've lived here my whole life, and this is where I'm going to live. So it's hard for us, because we're not those type of people, mm-hmm. to see through their eyes their ignorance on the fact is, is if you're qualified to work, now, homeboy missing, or, you know, with the stroke and all that, God bless him for having the, the want and the ability to yeah. better himself. Right. Some of these people, there was one work for me, Joe, a while back through Labor Finders. And he was wintering here because the winter wasn't so harsh. And he was working for Labor Finders. And then whenever spring come, he was going to shag and go be homeless. I mean, this was wow. like this, where here or it, wherever. I don't know. It was farther north, probably north. Yeah, someplace. Yeah, to where spring was better, mm-hmm. and that's how that was the system that he was working. And as odd as it sounds to us, these people enjoy that kind of of freedom. Now there's places mm-hmm. that you can look and. I mean, Aaron's got them up on, on the screen. So that don't even like the camp. Skid row. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a... Uh, yeah, that dude's got a horse hoof on that one. <laughs> Damn, what the hell is that? That's, that's pretty rough. Well, even in town, you see some people, the same people every day at a certain corner. And um, those people are professional. They're working, yeah. like you so said, do you guys, do you making guys more give money. Uh, we've probably all seen there's one uh, woman who kind of roams around different parts. Of the, I've seen her in Rogers. I've the seen Asian her in, lady. I think that has the baby stroller with yeah. no baby in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So do you guys give them money? No, but no. this particular Asian woman you're talking about, I was working one night here about six months ago downtown on the square, and she was plugged in. Those, those light poles have a GFI outlet on there, and right. she had two chargers plugged in, and on each phone she was doing a video where she was talking to somebody and this is like two o'clock in the morning and she was laughing and getting along i don't know maybe she was earning some money or whatever some sort of homeless fetish but (laughs) i asked her i said you all right oh yeah i said are you homeless yeah yeah she was she was all right with the deal uh my daughter i think when she turned 10 she said for her birthday she wanted toothpaste, toothbrushes, Joe, I think you don't, and some that. backpacks, all of this. And I said, what do you want that for? And she says, I want to give it to the veterans who are underneath the uh, overpass. I said, baby, I don't, you can do what you want. Just because they got them army jackets on. <laughs> but I said, if you want to help out some veterans, I'll find you the veterans. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to a buddy of mine, and there's a veteran shelter in Rogers, mm-hmm. and we went over there and gave those backpacks and stuff. Our kids don't have a clue how many of those people are liars, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And we Whatever raise them say, up. Yeah. We raise them up to give and and be these type of people. Yeah, and it's exactly. Right. I don't know how we learn that they're full of shit. I mean, some of your best homeless people are going to be on the Vegas Strip. Yeah, so I've got a a good story about this. When uh, my wife and I lived in Nashville, there was this guy who worked at Corner. And I don't remember what his specific sign was, but my wife is a lot softer-hearted than I am. And she goes to the store and buys a bag of apples, a loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter, you know, enough Mm -hmm. things to to get him through. Not what he wanted. 
He changed his sign after my wife's donation to "Why Lie? I Need Beer Money." Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, I was in, yeah, I was in Vegas one time, and this guy's straight up. I'm not going to lie. I just need a drink. Yeah. Hell, I give him ten bucks. So yeah. I, I did that in Nashville. I had a guy come up, and he's giving me his whole story about this and that, and blah blah blah. And you know, I need to. I've got a place to stay tonight, blah. But anyway, I just come out of a convenience store with a six pack. Could I have one of those beers? Yeah, man. Here you go. Uh, I seen a guy had a sign that said, "Taco Bell has thirty items for under ninety nine cents. Can you loan a buck?" I thought that's good craftsmanship. Here's, here's a dollar. So, so any, anything green will work. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking Taco Bell. Where's he gonna shit later? In Joe's truck. Did he have, so did he have, did he have socks on? I'll, I'll just put you. This is the pudding part of the program here. Taco Bell is the most ridiculous fast food restaurant on the face of the earth, period. And he, if you want, I don't go there, but... I it, don't either unless I'm drunk. Man, and I it's like close. the song. I'm in the Pizza Hut. I'm in the Taco Bell. I'm in the combination Pizza Hut. Taco Never Bell. heard it in my life. But, but the food's <laughs> not any good. <laughs> I, I'll get I don't even think it's meat. Pizza. Isn't there a deal where they can't call they it meat? Because it's got to be a certain percentage of meat. Uh, well, my theory is, is if my kids want Taco Bell and I pull up to... The drive-through. Boom. Say I'm car number three, and there's some son of a bitch reading that menu. Sir, do you know what you want? I'll just give me a minute. And they're studying this deal, and I want to say, listen, jackass. There's four ingredients folded twelve different ways. It's the same, same shit. You want you it can, crisp or not? You want it rolled up? You want it half open? Folded like a stop sign? Crunchy. Whatever. My, 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 my chorito. It's the same bullshit. And if someone says, you know what I do? I just really love the taco. I won't eat the burrito there. I'm thinking it's the same shit. It's the same <laughs> shit. It, there ain't nothing different. I mean, all that lettuce is going to end up between your console and your seat. <laughs> right there, I get no lettuce. So no. keep it rolled up. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. But yeah, it, so mental illness. Would you say that crime and mental illness are, are running down the same racetrack? You know, 26 years ago when I first started in this industry, and you had somebody that had a mental illness. We didn't know what mental illness was back then. Crazy and so people. they were crazy. Right. So they locked you up and they, you know, they, <laughs> they'd take a shit in the cell and throw it at the windows and, and throw urine on the guards or whatever else. They were crazy. You fast forward to today and, and a lot of the different cases I've seen, there, we have mental illness. And so today we have, at the Benton County Jail, now we have a third-party company that does all of the uh, medical stuff they have a psychological nurse there you know don't go in there if you ever get arrested kind of like the monkey in the suitcase story yeah. don't go in there and if they ask you have you ever thought about suicide before and you're drunk don't say yes because you're <laughs> going to get i can't the, tell you what i'm going to say when I'm the, about the time i saw those blue lights it came to my mind but. Yeah. so they, they give you a, a schmock that's basically velcro that you can't hang yourself in and and everything that you've got is not covered up in there so yeah, no. you, you say <laughs> 26 well, years, we fast forwarded 26 years from when you started and the system has changed because mental illness is used for all kinds of reasons. Maybe you are mentally ill or maybe they think they're going to find leniency through stating that they have mental illness. Right? right. Yeah, I think there is some of that. But, but, you know, we've also today have a veterans court. We have people that 
have had traumatic brain injuries or PTSD who are who are veterans that fought for our country. We've got a court that, that caters to them so that you're not just you're not in the same corral as, as every criminal in town. Well, that's a good thing. You know, so so in a sense, yes, we're we, we're trying to take care of our veterans from the court side, but you know, I, I told Tammy I came home the other night. I'd been in two homeless shelters. I'd been I, I'd been around. I don't know how many homeless people. I said if I don't wake up in the morning with COVID or uh, <laughs> PTSD yeah. Ricketts. or PhD Crap. or something in the morning, it'll be a miracle. But you know, it it, it really kind of if and so long story short, I had to, I bought this guy's cell phone. You can go to one. I called Jeff Hope because I know years ago he got mad at AT and T. Went to straight, yeah, talk. straight talk. Yeah. So I called him. He said, "Oh yeah, go down there. You can get a phone." I go out. We walk in there. They call them burner phones. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm walking in with this guy, and he's got a stroke. So you know how we all get out of the truck and we got to run into Walmart or Harps or get something. It's a hundred miles an hour yeah. in and out. Well, I, my life has gone from a hundred to about fifteen. And I saw shit in Walmart the other day. I didn't know you Walmart didn't know they sold. sold you, <laughs> and and I looked back on it. I told Tammy that, and I said, you know, maybe that's just the Lord telling you to slow down a little. But we walked up to the to the phone section, and this late, this girl standing there. She said, "Can I interest you two in a cell phone today?" And I said, "Yes, you can." I thought she was going to pass out. I know telling how many people she'd asked that to in the last <laughs> eight hours. I already got one. Yeah. She sold us a $20 phone. I got a $20 plan, and I put insurance and whatever else on it with a case and everything and walked out of there for 100 bucks. Dang. Bam. But you give it to the fellow? Gave it to him. And so, so the thing about it is is you can download an app for Ozark Regional Transit, ORT, on your phone, and you can just tell them I'm here and I need a ride, and they'll come pick you up and give you an estimated time. Just so, like an Uber for free it is it's a free uber so in a sense though when you when you look at our homeless population which i've done this last week but then you take take my buddy who's one step further and disabled it's a great system yeah. but then you then you look on the other side of it and you've got people who are abusing abusing the system yeah so, so you can't go from the bar in rogers to like Hiawasi. i don't think they will even take you home dra- even <laughs> if you're dragging a foot <laughs> so, so let me ask you i don't think they'll take you home <laughs> So you're getting at a point where, or, you know, through this story we've seen that you have a lot of heart and you really care about these people you see, but you also have to be somewhat cold and calculating because it's your money. So kind of take our listeners through, like, is there a ratio? How to, is it necessary to have heart in this business? And if so, how do you keep it in check? Well, Tammy, that's why I left her at home because <laughs> she would tell you I'm not that kind of person. But uh, no, I think, you know, I try to, you go through these stages of, you know, you go after somebody. When, I, when someone fails to appear for court, I know what they've been accused of. And I pretty much know what their criminal history is. So I know if I'm coming to your house and you're a gang member, meth cook, drug dealer, whatever, yeah, I'm going to be packing a pistol. Right. And I'm going to have help go, go with me. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to try to catch you at Easy Mart in the morning getting your coffee when you walk out the door. So I catch you not in your backyard at your house with all of your people and weapons. Uh, the worst day I ever had was right down the street here, probably 15 years ago, and I called the city of Rogers said, hey, I'm looking for this guy. This is the address on Sunset Street. Okay, great. If you need us, call. We showed up there. Me and a guy that worked for me, several Hispanic people came out of the house. My guy was trying to run out of the back door, yelling, screaming, arguing, fight ensues neighbor lady across the streets like oh god 911 the cops show up 
Well, it was two young guys. I didn't know any of them. They had us all at gunpoint on the ground in the yard. Thank God the next car that showed up was the sergeant that looked at me and said, Kurt, what are you doing on the ground? <laughs> I said, we're after that guy. He said, get up. <laughs> well, your old buddy's got me here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of that's changed. And so I try to... I try to do the right thing. When somebody fails to appear, I don't care what it is or what it's for. I call them up because I've learned, I guess maybe you get a little wiser when you get older. Sure do. I'd rather, I'd rather write Aaron's bond five times yeah. every time he fails to appear than to piss him off and go kick his door in and drag him out kicking and screaming fighting and put him in jail with a hundred other guys that he goes, hey, don't call that some bitch. Yeah, he's, really. he's a jackass. <laughs> he's an asshole. <laughs> wouldn't, you, wouldn't you think part of becoming a mature man is you, you kind of got two roads on this. You could say, man, I'm just going to worry about myself. Whatever's going on, that's not my deal. Or a mature man could say, man, I'm just one guy, but if I did a little bit and the other guys did a little bit, maybe we could steer this ship a little straighter. And I think as we mature we kind of get involved in things that maybe we never had an interest in or no business in it. Mm -hmm. But we see these opportunities and, you know, a lot of times you just let them pass. Mm -hmm. You think, and as a mature man, you start thinking, man, if I would have just pulled over, mm -hmm. maybe I could have helped that person out. And we're not doing it for trophies or medals right. or anything like that. It's just the right damn thing to do. But mm -hmm. in our culture, we've gotten to a layer of fear to where everybody tells you that if you help somebody, there's a possibility you're going to get killed, stabbed, screwed, whatever. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that more than likely isn't going to happen. Right. The percentage is so low. Um, what you're doing with this with this dude, it's the right thing to do, man. Yep. And, and you know wise men will tell you if you loan 20 bucks to somebody that you, that you always have money in your pocket mm -hmm. you know whatever you do good comes back to you that's and, right and as we get older you actually see that's the truth it may be hard telling an 18 year old kid mm -hmm. that if yeah. you go out and help people it's going to come back to you right yeah and it may not come monetarily it's going to come back where people know that you're that type of guy mm-hmm and uh, it's good for business. <laughs> it is. It's good for business. I tell people, I had a lady ask me one day, she said, uh, she said, I don't know how I'm going to keep my kid out of jail. And I said, well, when he turns 26, that's the number. Because I feel like in all of my years doing this, when you hit about 26, my mom, you know, my mother's a preacher's wife. She's, she wouldn't say shit if she had a mouth full of it. Right. And, <laughs> and she's, a, she's a sweetheart. But she said, uh, you know, she said, when when you hit 26, my mom was telling me, I know that that case of beer that your eight-year-old brother found under the cedar bush on the side of the house, I know that wasn't the neighbor's. I know that was yours. Right. You know, and so you kind of get to those things to where, you mean you really knew that that was us that got pulled over by the cops that night? She said, oh, I knew all that. You know, so you kind of have you hit that transition where it's like you're not trying to fool anybody anymore and you're. You know, and you go back to kind of how you were raised would, and just do the I, right thing. I would go with 26 is probably a good age to where you better have your shit right. Yeah. yeah. Um, at that point, you've been given opportunities. You should have already become who you're supposed to be. Right. 
you know, we set out with a goal, and, and we've talked to some young guys on the show. We're going to talk to more of them. Every, every member of a community is important to the community, regardless, even if you're that homeless person. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you decide you're going to live in our woods around here, I mean, pick up the damn trash. Right. You know, show some yeah. signs that maybe you don't want to mingle with the standard, you know, thoughts on how we're supposed to live. Maybe nine to five or whatever, six, mm-hmm. six to eight. Right. <laughs> isn't the way that you want to live. And I could understand that. There's guys who up and leave and move to Alaska or Montana because they don't want no part of living in this type of society. They want right. to be all by themselves. They call those people the Unabomber. <laughs> but uh, they, uh, I could see that, man. Mm-hmm. I could see where there's some people just want to be alone. Yeah. They, they tired of listening to it. Um, you're doing, you're doing good work. And yeah. And yeah. I, I had never thought about the fact that being a bail bondsman would involve customer service. Yeah. <laughs> You know, believe it or not, it does. And, and it's funny because Tammy, she was a pastor's assistant for 18 years. So so when she meets somebody in the jail and she had a girl call her the other day and she said, I just need you to pray with me. She said, what's going on? So Tammy said, I prayed with her. I said, well, good. You know, so yeah. I get them out and yell at them and cuss at them. And Tammy tries to get them saved. <laughs> yeah. so, so you're the uh, you're, you're the good cop of the, of the I'm, I'm yeah. the bad cop. She's a good cop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's where, I mean, you got to get, maybe that's their rock bottom is when they went to jail. Mm-hmm. And that's the key in the whole judicial system. I've seen, I've known people, friends of mine growing up who have had a drug problem, whose parents have had more money than anybody in the county. Sent, you know, go to the best rehabilitations in the world. And it doesn't matter. No, we Until that bottom. person is ready and says, Joe, I need help. Right. Then they're ready. Right. Yep. But until then, you know, Waste and that's time. Yep. And that's the, t- I think that's the tough part because a lot of our judicial system, even nationwide, says we've, we've got to rehabilitate these people. We've got to rehabilitate them. Let me tell you something. They don't want to be real yeah. rehabilitated until they're ready. Until they're ready, it's got to get and then, and then they won't help. Got to yeah, get the puppy out of that dog. Yeah, and it's not going to do any good to try to get them to do that until. Yeah. I mean, the old saying, "You can't help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves." Mm-hmm. You know, at some point they want to help themselves, and then mm-hmm. they're, they're going to listen to you. Hopefully, yeah. or Hopefully. they wind up dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Absolutely. there's and that happens also. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hmm. So yep. what? If if say Aaron decided that he was going to quit his job and he was going to get a new career, and he decided that his career was going to be a bail bondsman, what's that look like? So so basically, you would have to find a company that was willing to, to hire you. You go to Little Rock, take a test. So you're apprenticing through another bondsman. Basically, yep. So you so before you could own your own company like I do, you have to have. Uh, three years experience, two years consecutive, and then you can become an owner. But so there's a lot of companies out there, some of the bigger companies, they, they put ads in the paper all the time. You know, I could be a big company if I wanted to. I've got enough headaches right here in Benton, Washington <laughs> County that I don't want to multiply that by 100 agents. But uh, so you, you get a company to basically sponsor you. You take a, a, an education class, and then you go to Little Rock and take a test. And... Uh, you get your license to become a bondsman and 
of course, working as an agent under a company, you know, they're going to have rules and regulations. Yeah. And, and, and so you have a power of attorney. They may give you a twenty-five or $50,000 power of attorney. Anything over that, you can't write above that. But uh, hmm. so, yeah, it's, it's not hard to get in the business. It's just there's so many people in it now that there's not a lot of people hiring. Gotcha. Yeah. Have there been people migrating from other states that have gone to this uh, no bail type situation, or do they just change work? Well, uh, yeah. So we, so we now under the Department of Labor, is who the bail bond licensing board is under now, we have a reciprocal license. So we have a lot of different things with military. You know, you may have been a bondsman in, in uh, Louisiana, and your wife got transferred here, and you could transfer and still keep your license and do all that. Okay. So... I think the biggest thing is is with a lot of these different states, um, I think they're finally coming full circle to realize that no bail doesn't work. Because what we do is we, I guarantee your court appearance at every court appearance you have for this case. And if you fail to appear, we go get you and bring you back to zero cost to, to the, the taxpayers. taxpayers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking this whole time. We right. saved the county millions of dollars. Yeah. Statewide. So you're an asset to law enforcement judicial system you're an asset to to the guy who needs a bail bondsman mm -hmm. and so this whole west coast phenomenon that nobody needs bail i know joe you said you didn't know that was going on it's it's one of these things to where the liberals have taken over that and you're gonna hurt somebody by telling them that they got to pay you a thousand bucks for on a ten thousand dollar bail, and they don't have that kind of money. Mm -hmm. Well, the the judge should have known that you don't have that kind of money, and that's why he set that bond at that amount so your ass would stay in jail. That's what he was trying to accomplish. Right. When he set your million dollar bond. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for doing some bad shit. People mm -hmm. need to realize that bond amount was literally set there so you would sit in that jail. Yeah, they and didn't want you out. They didn't want you out. Yeah. Because you're going to do the same you thing know, again. And, yeah, and the, and the federal law says that bail can't be punitive. So we can't use it to be mean to you and keep you in jail. But what, what I can do as the judge is I can look at your criminal history and I can look at the severity of your crime, and I'm going to set it according because you're from California, just been here in Bentonville for three weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. So they take all those things into consideration. Yeah. Right. It's really a, a pretty fine-tuned set of rules and policies that one side of our political uh, society thinks that they could get some votes out of by letting bad people out of jail. Yeah, they, they've even in the euphemism they, they don't they don't call it no bail. I think they call it cashless bail. Yes, yeah, I'm sure they put. That's right. exactly you're exactly right. Yeah, the bail coalition, all these things, and there's a. There's a, one of our former judges who's an attorney here, and he's as far left-wing liberal as you can get, and he and I are friends. We can argue and cuss and discuss and hate each other, but we can still go have a burger at lunch. Right. You right. Know? And I yeah. tell him, you're crazy. I can't believe you you believe this, you know. But it's a, it's always been the left is, you know, only poor people are in jail. And and that, that wasn't the case even prior to January 1 of this year because we provide a service, and – that service to me could be that, you know, Aaron's between jobs, but he's going to have a check in a few weeks. He's got a new job. And, mm. and if I don't get to work tomorrow, Joe's going to fire me, you know? Right. Okay. Well, we got a good co-signer. We'll get you out. You keep your job. Yeah. You keep your right. family. You feed your kids. Yeah. Right. And, and th there is some truth to the, 
the poor is in jail more than the wealthy. And and the reason is, is if your ass is broke, sometimes you'll do whatever it takes right. to try to have what other people got. And yeah. attorneys are expensive. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we deal with some – I've dealt with some really, really bad people in my career. But 98% of the people I deal with are good people. Yeah. And it, it, they just make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason they make bad decisions is because their mom and dad took them to the jail to visit – or their dad took them down there on Saturday afternoon at the old jail down here to visit their mother who exactly. was in jail this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they were raised that way. Generational. And just, yeah, and they're not bad people. They just make stupid decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what, what we would think is wrong for them is just another The way of life. Yeah. 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 And it, right. It's hard to pile all of us into one group. We'll never be that way. Mm-hmm. To, to where something traumatic for us would be, I mean, an everyday deal for like drug drug use. Exactly. You know, right. like drug use to us means, man, you got some problems if you're doing meth and doing all these drugs. Right. Yeah. For them, hell, they may have been addicted since birth. Right. Or always, yeah, just possible. Right, knew yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah. Very possible. I hmm. got you. So well, yeah. What you got, Aaron? Kurt, what brings you joy? Work. Work. Yeah. I love my job. I love working. And then, and Tammy, she brings me joy because when I'm not working, I'm fishing. And she's and working. She's working. <laughs> yeah, she's keeping us on. What does it take to be a quality man? You know, I think to be a quality man, you have to, you have to care. You know, I can still kick a door in and yell and scream and cuss with the best of them, but I think you get to that point in your life, as Joe was touching on a while ago, that you, you get to that point to where you say, maybe I shouldn't kick this door in and I need to find out the whole story yeah. before we go in. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I do. I think I think just being caring, listening mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, that's whether it's work or home, and I know I'm not good at that at home, but well, I'm pretty <laughs> good at it at work. <laughs> William? So all those good people out there, you're saying 99%, and I'm with you. Most everybody is. They make those things. So some of the things that could happen if you're drunk and you do stupid is, is what stupid does. Could you tell the listeners maybe one of the craziest he shouldn't have been or she shouldn't have been so stupid drunk. She was drunk. She should have paid attention. But what they did to him in the county lockup as a result of their stupid is, is stupid does one time. You know, I hear all kinds of stories about the county lockup. Um, you know, many years ago, uh, there were the stories were way better but um uh, I, I may have to go with the with the joe wilson story about being handcuffed to the ceiling <laughs> at the madison county jail i've got I've, the next time i go there we'll see if that that hook's still there it's, it's uh, got some scratch marks on it i was leaning <laughs> towards the left so they're a little bit more uh uh thick skin these days there and they, they don't take this so personal yeah not, probably not going to get handcuffed and hung to a uh hook on the wall or they're anything. a little more friendly these days you know uh i was talking to a friend of mine the other day he applied for an education director at a supermax prison in wisconsin and he's he's the only redneck from wisconsin that i know i call him my redneck yankee buddy mm-hmm. and uh and so he'd never been in a jail so i said well i can get you a tour over here so we went and took a tour of the jail and he was just in awe because what most people don't know is at the benton county jail there's 700 people there every day and when when you drive by there, you don't realize because there's no cars. There's no cars. Well, which side of the bars are the <laughs> seven hundred on? Skinny windows behind, behind, the, behind the bars. Behind the bars. Okay. Yeah, and so when you go in, you've got people that are just being arrested. You've got people that are being released 
from court by the judge. You've got people that are bonding out. You've got Bible study going on from the jail chaplains. You've got court happening. You've got lunchtime. You've got medication. I mean, it's a small city inside itself. And if, if you guys have never been there and want to go sometime, holler at me. I'll get hmm. you over there. It's really cool to see and, and how they operate. So, you know, we post a bond. Sometimes it takes one, four, five hours. Um, you know, for instance, one day we wrote a bond on a guy, and I said, he'll be out here in 45 minutes. Somebody had a massive heart attack in the back. They shut the whole thing down. You the bet. ambulance comes. You know, um, different things. So it's become a little more friendlier, I think, as 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 we grow, where people become more cognitive of what they do. Everything's on camera, not like it used to be years ago. Right. So I've always thought if they would just post online what the county jail menu is, mm -hmm. that would straighten a lot of people's shit up. They don't want that green baloney. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, how many of these guys, of big old 400-pounders, go to jail and they come out 200-pounder? Yeah, there's several. <laughs> uh, you know, years ago when I first started writing bonds, Andy Lee was our sheriff. and Was and, he in a picture with you? Huh? Was he ever in a picture with <laughs> no, you? No, he wasn't. Uh, but he, he was the only one. I was the only one. He was, probably, he was on KNWA a couple times. You know, and, uh, and his son, Andy Jr., yeah. still works there, and he's a good friend of mine. Uh, the other day I ran across a, an old bumper sticker. At my office, I had two of them. I don't even know where I got them. But Andy had lost an election and was running again. And they had a bumper sticker that said, bring back Andy. Mm. And I walked into his office over there, and he laughed. He said, where the hell did you get this? So, um, But when Andy Lee was there, uh, a quick story, him and uh, oh, Joe Arpaio, Maricopa County sh uh, yeah. sheriff out in Arizona. The pink panty guy. Yeah. The pink panty guy. They, they wanted to run the toughest jail in the nation. So they had this ongoing battle. Mm. And so <laughs> – that's how we got stripes back in our jail. Him and him and Joe were going back and forth, and Andy thought, well, I'll just get striped inmate suits for these inmates to wear. So he ordered them up and got them. He sent, he sent a pair out to Joe Arpaio in Maricopa County. Well, Joe just one-ups him and calls this huge press conference. Everybody comes out, and he says, we're going to start wearing stripes at our jail. And he pulls this out well, on the back of the shirt. It says Benton County inmate, mm. but he had this huge press release and that's where all the pink stuff and all those things yeah. kind of started too. So they were, they were always back and forth. But when Andy was there, they served no hot meals. Yeah. Oof. They Bologna. went to a dietitian and they said, we need to know what the bare minimum, bare yeah. minimum calories for a non-working inmate is per day. And that's what you got. Now, if you were a trustee and you worked out back or, or you did something else, then you got two green bologna sandwiches. Right. You know. So <laughs> nowadays they have a they have a, a a system in there now. They cook hot meals, serve hot meals. Really. The cake smells really good, but I'm not had it. <laughs> a little hibachi in the in the cell. There. You know that time yeah. I, I mentioned that story earlier about me spending a little few hours at Delaware County, Oklahoma. I was in there with another guy. And, I won't tell you his first name, but his last name was Galleon. Oh. But uh, we were walking out of there that morning. and What did Tim say? <laughs> <laughs> they were they didn't have a dietitian because they were pushing a little cart full of big old cat head biscuits. And porridge. Floating in a big old sausage gravy. And, of course, we was just hungry as a bunch of old hounds. You know, we'd been drinking all night. 
Old Tim said, that looks pretty damn good. I said, you, my God, you stay and have some. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm getting out of here before they change their mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I listened to a bunch of podcasts, and this last podcast I've been listening to, I kind of told you guys prior to this recording, was about a guy named Donnie Baker. And Donnie Baker worked at a bow shop, Fort Leonard Wood, and uh, he had his eyes on a 200 go ahead joe spit that eyes out real quick is <laughs> uh, that loud <laughs> yo it's been it's been there i want to make sure i was here so this guy worked at the bow shop on base and for weeks he's seen this 204 inch deer and that deer would never leave this little safe area you can hunt on them bases you know but you can't hunt in certain areas and he's a good dude. Had a little boy, had a wife. He uh, he could have shot that deer a hundred times. But he never wanted to shoot it illegal. Deer season rolls around, archery. He leaves the bow shop, and that deer is right there off the side of the road. And he draws back the bow, and the minute that the arrow leaves that string, he knows he's in trouble. Mm. <laughs> And the, he, he, the only thing he did wrong was he shot this deer on a piece of property that he wasn't supposed to do. He shot it in season. Everything was legal otherwise, but he shot in the wrong spot. He instantly went from a good guy to an outlaw within a blink of an eye. And so he started doing outlaw shit. Well, he's covering up the scene. He hauls off the deer. He does all of this. When you got a 204-inch deer and you take a picture of it, everybody's going to see it Yeah, instantly. And so the guy winds up getting caught, mm-hmm. right? Believe it or not, shooting this deer on a military base illegally cost him a $114 ticket. Whoa. Wow. You think that's <laughs> cheap? Yeah. Yeah. What if he would have shot a doe? It's $114 cheap. So... Yeah, wow. it, right. The, we we judge crime for all kinds of, of different reasons, mm-hmm. right? Hunters would look at it like you took this trophy away from all these people. A non-hunter would say you killed a deer. Mm-hmm. They give two shits what the horns look like on the deer. Or, or the spotlight it was under. It's yeah. kind of <laughs> like if on this table you walked in one day and there's a $10 bill sitting on this table, you'd bypass that $10 bill all the time. You walk in one day and there's $100,000 sitting here. And you come back the next day and there's still $100,000 there. And you're not a criminal, but you're thinking, hell, maybe they won't miss that $100,000. <laughs> Temptation, huh? Yeah, so... Good people have the tendency to do stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Anybody listening to this, I don't care how many Wednesdays you spend at a potluck at a Baptist church. Anybody can do a stupid thing. It may be being on your cell phone hitting someone in a crosswalk. Mm-hmm. That'll wind your ass up in jail. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Everybody has the opportunity to need a bondsman. You may have never thought about that. Yeah. You thought, hell, I'm so good, I'll never need one. It's just not outlaws who get in trouble. Right. And uh, so I listened to the story, this Donnie Baker guy and this deer, 
and I'd like to be friends with this guy. Mm-hmm. When I listen to this whole story, this dude has heart. He needs to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of crimes that we should be able to forgive you. We know that you paid the time. You've done the time. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's give you another opportunity. There's some of them I ain't never going to forgive you for. Right. right. You know, and you ought not get any bail. Right. You ought to go in there and eat green bologna and have whatever they want to do to you do to you. Mm-hmm. With that being said, when you go to jail, you lose your liberty and freedom. What does liberty mean to you? Well, I think it both it goes right along with freedom. You know, I think I think number one, liberty to me is proud. You got to be proud. You be proud of whether you go out and dig ditches for ten dollars a day by hand. You be proud of digging that good ditch. You know, and I I think that's it. I think I'm proud of what I do. I try to do always do the right thing. Now, Lord knows I've done a lot of stupid things and. And Joe knows too, but he hadn't said any of them yet tonight, so that's good. But uh, I've got one in the pipe. <laughs> so you know, I think it, I think you look at that. I think I think it's proud, being proud, being proud of what you do, and I think uh, I think it falls back to where where you were a while ago about when you when you become a good man. You know, when you look at somebody, you say, you know, Aaron, he's a good man. He's gonna because you know Aaron's gonna do the right thing. He hadn't always done the right thing. Neither has Joe. But today, they're going to do the right thing. Yeah. You can so, grow into it. You got to grow into it. Yeah. What do you got there? Uh, so, you know, you've done a lot over the course of your life. You've touched a lot of people, uh, particularly with the bail bondsman career. And, mm-hmm. you know, presumably you've got other things going on with fishing and helping and whatnot. So what would you like, you know, later on when you're an old man, what would you like your legacy? How would you like that to be remembered? You know, I've never thought of that. Um, I would think that I would want people to sit around and laugh and tell stories about me when I was stupid and young, but then tell about the good that you did in this world. So I'll tell you, I ask everybody this question, and it's interesting to me because I've found that, you know, a lot of people think about legacy in terms of these big, oh, well, I built this building, I left this monument. And what I found with Common everyone folks. That, yeah, that we talk to, it's always about what they've done for other people. So mm-hmm. that's interesting, and that's why I always ask this question. Yeah. I forgot I to like ask, that question. I forgot to ask this other one. Do you mm-hmm. know I just won a billion dollars the other day, and with that money. He picked up that pile of cash that was on this table. He took the money. Yeah. With that money. No, I'll, just a hundred grand. <laughs> I'll take you anywhere in the world right now to hunt or to fish anywhere and do anything where are we going what are we doing we're going to dayton tennessee to chicken lake chickamauga and what are we catching there bass no kidding it's the it's the coolest place i've ever been i fished so i fished some of the bass master opens back several years ago out of out of the back of the boat a friend of mine was a professional and he said hey you ought to do this and i said you know you're right i think i should so dayton tennessee is a cool little town um famous fisherman from there andy morgan one of the best in the world that's a big old fish right super there. super good dude Golly, they pulling these out of this thing <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome man it's awesome it's tennessee River. Well, they, they're not even holding them out no they don't hold them out <laughs> they, like they, they even got here. thumbs <laughs> they don't even have them fake little hands yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the coolest thing about dayton tennessee is uh 
I went there for the first time years ago. And and you drive into the town, and it reminds you a lot of here. It, it reminds you more of like a, a gravit town with a big Tennessee River lake. But the one thing you will not see is you don't see a McDonald's cup on the side of the road. You don't see an old napkin. It's the cleanest place you'll ever see in your really? life. And so up the, up and down the river, there's several different boat ramps. And we would fish different areas of the of the lake. So this each is a day. power plant lake. So it's on it's on the river, but yes, there is a power plant on it. And crappie. yeah, they've got big crappie too. But there's several different boat launches all the way up and down there. So a lot of times we would just pick an area of the of the lake to fish that day. And you've got to drive like from here to Rocky Branch, and it's curvy, hilly, just like it is here. And you'll drive past an old trailer house. And the yard's cut, the trash is cleaned up, and it may not be a twenty thousand dollar place, but by God, it's clean. You They're bet. proud of what they got, oh, yeah. and it's the cleanest place I've ever been. They'd probably followed out if they went to Oklahoma and seen how people take care of shit. It's all Grand Lake over there, <laughs> and what runs into it, or yeah, what you really. hang up on. Right. So, so my question, in right in line with both of these guys' questions, I mean, uh, Joe just brought up the fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard heard a story one time about a boat that you had that had an ironic name to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a, I, you know, and, and I, I'm going to get another one one day, but I don't know what I'm going to name that boat. Uh, but yeah, I bought a new boat back years ago, and then me and a certain guy with the last name of Hope used to run around a lot, and and you know you're always supposed to put a name on an old boat or something, and so. So I had the name of it. It was called Crime Pays. <laughs> <laughs> and every single person that asked me when I'd pull up to get gas say, are you an attorney? Yeah, No, we're, we're lower than attorneys. <laughs> we're <laughs> bail bonds. We get them first. <laughs> so uh, that, goes, that goes right into the next question. Uh, and this is not bad. I mean, I told you I had one in the, one sure. in the chamber for you. This is the good and the bad side of Kirk Clark, I guess, depending on what side of the law. A uh, little story on both of us. I one time got a pickup stolen <laughs> at a little establishment just north of here. Where uh, it was a ladies. titty bar. Yeah, <laughs> Joe. And there was a guy with me. No, I'm not even going to tell. I'm not even going to talk about Joe Wilson. He wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so my truck got stolen. Yada yada yada. I get it back myself that night and like. A couple of days later, this guy calls me and he says, uh, our guest calls me and he said, hey, did you get your truck stolen? I said, yeah, how the hell did you know? He said, well, his wife called me to bail him out. And he said, you know, ordinarily I would, but the truck he stole belonged to a friend of mine. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, he can stay right where he's at. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you run into those things. And it's funny. One day, uh, I was driving down 102, and I just bought a brand-new three-quarter-ton diesel truck, and I'm just proud as could be driving down the road. And and there was a car. There were two or three cars in the turn lane turning onto Dixieland, and I was in the fast lane of the of the four-lane coming west. Well, all of a sudden, this car that was sitting here stopped to turn left onto Dixieland just decided she wanted to pull right out. Well, she T-boned me in the side of the truck, brand-new mm. truck, and I thought, mm. what? So I pull over there to, at, at the Casey's, and the cops come. Well, as I'm on the phone, I called Tammy and told her I'd had a wreck. And so anyway, the cops show up, and I'm, I'm kind of watching this girl, and I'm on the phone. And 
and she's kind of like drifting off to the back side of the building. I'm like, she didn't know I was a bail bondsman, and the cop that showed up knew I was, and so I said, I'm not sure what's going on here. Well, the next thing, you know, she's gone. <laughs> she, she's down at Domino's Pizza, a quarter mile down there, hiding around the corner of the building. Well, she was trying to flee because she had a warrant. Anyway, she got arrested, and and ironically, kind of like Joe Wilson that time. Yes, <laughs> ironically, I get a phone call two days later, and I had got her name and information for insurance purposes, and it was the same girl that hit me called to bail me out. I had to put it on hold, and Tammy and I laughed for thirty minutes. I said, "Look, ma'am, you know, my you know my big deal is this: if if I think you're a total jackass or I don't want to help you, I tell them." Let me, I'm going to have to ask my boss, you know, and I'll tell him, look, man, my boss won't let me write this bond. He's a dickhead. He's a real <laughs> yeah, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know. Okay, I understand. That's <laughs> they well don't know played. that's me. Yeah, that's well so, played. So that, yeah. get, that brings me right to my last question. What's the biggest lie somebody ever told you when trying to get bonded out? You know, it'd have to be there was a guy, and I can't even remember. His name is Steven. But, but when Jeff was working for me, this guy – I've I've dealt with three really really of the world's best con men in my in my career, and this guy Jeff was working and he talked Jeff used to work weekends and so he Jeff had talked to him and they worked this bond up and this guy was from California and he'd worked in the movie industry and he was here in jail on I don't even remember but it was a pretty big bond, so it's rocked on for four five six days and he said man if you'll just go over here to the storage unit down here by Harley Davidson, I've got all this stuff. I've got movie set stuff from Elvis movies, and I've got this, and I've got that. So finally, Jeff called his bluff one day and said, where's the key to this storage building? He said, it's in my property. So we went to the jail. Jeff called me. We went to the jail and got his property, went back and saw him, and he says, which is this key here? Okay, we'll be back. We go down there. It's full of Elvis stuff. It's full of all kinds of memorabilia from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Two two of the biggest storage units you've ever seen in the city of Bentonville. <laughs> so we end up getting the guy out. Well, long story short, he was a con artist. I don't know where he came up with all this stuff. We ended up chasing him down. We got him caught. But then about five years later, I was it was it was bow season. It it had to be the end of September because I remember like it was yesterday. I was at my house and I'm sighting in my bow. I'm shooting phone rings and it was a police officer and he said hey do you have this steven guy i said no but i've bonded him before and uh about a month prior to that i had a phone call from from montana and i thought who's that maybe somebody from my past i knew there was a lady that called out of the blue wanting to know if i knew this guy i said oh yeah i know him she proceeds to tell me whatever story you could pull up on the internet right now about someone who has lied to, about everything to their best friend or their girlfriend and he's about to marry this lady oh and i God. said yeah, no this guy's a con guy she said i thought so well long story short the she was officer, using you as a reference to marry no what she had done is she had googled his name and it popped up in bentonville arkansas in action bail bonds oh. uh. on, a, on a criminal case so she called me her dad was like used to be a police chief Anyway, so she said, I know a little bit about this. So I'm just Google it. She found a bondman. She goes, he'll know everything. So she called and asked me these questions. Didn't think anything about it. Well, like 30, 60 days later, I get a call from this cop and said, hey, you used to have this guy on bond. I said, yeah. He said, we need to find him. We're having a meeting right now, Bentonville Police Department. Can you come down here? I said, yeah, I can probably help you, help you find him. 
Well, this was the next that next morning. So I went down. Prosecutor was there. U.S. Marshals, everybody was there. Mm. Said, "What do you know about this guy?" I said, "Oh, he's the best con artist that I've ever seen. Probably nothing to the marshals, but uh, so they said, well, we need to find him like right now." And I said, "Well, give me about an hour, and I'll be back." And they're like, "How are you going to find him in an hour?" I said, "Just let me, give me an hour." So I went back to my office. Well, I don't get an itemized detail list from my cell phone, but where I live, I don't have any home phone service, so I have cell phone, and. So I went back and I called AT&T and I said, hey, can you give me a printout of September of this year? Yeah. So they emailed it to me. You knew the date because you was out there. I was, I, it was almost both. Yeah. yeah. So I go down there and that was the only <laughs> phone call that I remember yeah. from Montana. So I called this lady up. I said, I told her who I was. She goes, oh, yeah. She said, uh, he married my friend. Okay. I said, really? She said, she told me the whole story. She works at some motel up there now this is this is almost on the canadian border so it's a small town well he had had moved in there and met her girlfriend she wouldn't listen to her about his antics in the past he this her girlfriend's husband had died like a year previous and he owned the only tow truck company in that county so he towed for the sheriff's office all the city everybody they all knew him well our guy goes in there gives her this fake name he's living in her house two doors down from the police department and in 15 minutes i went back to the police department in 15 minutes called the police chief he said send me a picture of this guy so we emailed him a picture 15 minutes he said i'll call you right back he walked two doors down walked in their house because they knew each other on a first name basis you know bill's the tow truck owner walked in the door sat down and said hey and he had changed his name. He said, Stephen, do you want to tell him the truth or do you want me to? He said he just bowed his head down, stood, stood up, took him in the cuffs, and got him caught. So, oh, big yeah. That's pretty cool. Crazy story. People are wild. World's yeah. biggest lie. I could imagine living like that. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and some of those people, it's, it's, it's always running, circling from your stories. and Yeah, trying to tell one lie about the next lie. I don't yeah, even know how right. you can keep up with it. Yeah. That's crazy. Can't ever run away from a lie, can you? No. You'll never get out of it. Yeah. No, but that's why I don't have any tattoos. Can't catch you. Someday I'm going to run away. (laughs) I'm going to be living in the wilderness. I know where I'm going to Tennessee to find you. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm even Chickamauga. Yeah. Cool place. Well, yeah, let's go. Kurt, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. I'm a storyteller, and your stories were great. Crazy, man. Great stories. (laughs) That's pretty fun. Yeah. And uh, to our listeners, if you ever need a quality bails bondman, what was that number again? Call Action Bail Bonds at 479-273-0001. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Like it, share it, spread it around. Thanks. They're into barbecue cooking. Women say they're good looking. Into me, there ain't a way to go wrong. If you're out at the lake or with the hippies getting baked, they're going to love it if you turn it on. If laughter and good times, tall tales and big lies fall under your category, get with Aaron and Joe's cause you know you want to go and hear them cooking up a story. Just get with Aaron and Joe's, hey you know you want to go and hear them cooking up a story.